0: So many things have ruined my childhood So I go on like to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus fly New versions
1: of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh-huh uh-huh Predators, uh uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. Marvel, uh uh-huh. uh, DC, uh uh-huh. maybe it doesn't all quite stay. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this podcast, Ruin My Childhood. I'm Phil, and with me, as always, is Eric. Eric, how's
3: it going? Oh, there's something strange, and it wasn't very good, pretty much after the first one. Who are you going to call? Script doctors. Hello,
2: Ghostbusters. Yes, of course they're serious. You do? You have? No kidding. Uh-huh. Well, just, uh, just give me the address. Uh-huh. Yes, of course. Oh, they'll be
4: totally discreet. Thank you.
1: We got one!
2: Well, that is, uh, that's an introduction. I think we're going to have some division on this episode because I have some people that are going to help back me up, I think. And uh, let's welcome uh, a friend to the podcast who's been on quite a few at this point, Brad Jost. Brad, how's it going?
4: Um, my stomach hurts. I ate way too many hot dogs. I've been just throwing them down my throat, dude. I don't know what to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that happens when you're big and green.
1: Mm-hmm,
4: it does.
2: Yeah. And uh, we have another friend who's joining us. I think this is the first time we've had four people on a podcast ruined episode. But we have another friend of the show who's been on, I think, two, maybe three with me. Hunter Fagan. Hunter, welcome. Yeah,
0: um, Phil, I gotta just go ahead and tell you guys, this is not going to be a Ghostbusters episode, at least for me. Um, this episode is going to be entirely dedicated to the uh, loss of Morbius um, from my next two week schedule. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm having a real hard time processing, and uh, you know, just you're never alone when Jared Leto is with you. So I'm just trying to keep the faith right now.
2: Oh my gosh, uh, WB doesn't feel that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just, you know, I watched one of my favorite movies the other, one of my favorite comedies in recent years, which was Pop Star, you know, the Lonely Island movie.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's so that good. great
0: little gag. He's like, 10 seconds? That's a third of the way to Mars. And he's like, Connor, we've gone over this. That's not a factual <laughs> statement. And uh, I just, that just that occupies my headspace a lot. <laughs>
2: That's pretty good. <laughs> well, everybody, as you can tell, we're obviously talking about the Venom Morbius, uh, no, no, we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters, the entire saga, the series, something that holds a very special place in my childhood, and uh, we're going to get right into all four of the Ghostbusters movies. Uh, With the release of Ghostbusters Afterlife in 2021 and the most recent release of it on digital, we've had the ability to see it in theaters and again at home. So Brad, I know you're with me. In that you've bought Afterlife and watched Afterlife since it came out on digital, um, that's true. Just as good as an experience.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I didn't I didn't cry as much this time, but because um, you know I, I knew everything was coming, but it was still a very awesome experience.
2: Yep, yep. Same with me. I, I checked it out um, last night and just I I don't know. We'll we'll get into it, but I'm happy that I bought it on digital already. Oh yeah. I'm so, waiting
3: for VHS.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just like, just like you were waiting in 1984. Yeah. So as we do on this podcast, we think back to our memories of the original in any series we discuss. And so I want you all to to take me back to when you first were introduced to the Ghostbusters. Now, as we found, Brad's a little bit younger than Eric and I and Hunter's younger as well. And so the first, the first time you, you learn about Ghostbusters might not have even been seeing the movie. Now, uh, Eric, um, tell me your, your memories of Ghostbusters.
3: I was not allowed to see Ghostbusters originally. Um, it was uh, deemed too scary uh, by my mom. So I didn't mm-hmm. see Ghostbusters in the theater, and I actually didn't see Ghostbusters, the original, start to finish all the way through until I had already seen Ghostbusters 2 uh, in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um that one, uh, we had HBO at the time, and I recorded that, and I wore that VHS out. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. No, like, I believe it. You could put Ghostbusters 2 on, and I could probably recite, I'd say, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm at least 75% with just word for word for word on. Wow. Like, for sure, I know all the jokes. I mean, mm-hmm. I can do the, the witty... I I might get bogged down in some of the exposition, but oh man, I love that movie. So then I saw, uh, the original Ghostbusters and I was like, that's pretty good. But it's no Ghostbusters too. (laughs) Well, because of, again, yeah, the, the age that I was, because I would have only been, uh, eight in 84 for the original. So now, uh, at 13, this made a real impact on me. Like I thought Bill Murray was hysterical uh, because even his, his original stuff like Stripes and um, Caddyshack, those movies were, were out when I was too young to really appreciate them. So this was my real introduction to, to Bill Murray. Yeah. And of course, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, all of those. And then, and then this is when I started seeing all of those like early 80s comedies that they all did so uh Mm -hmm. so that's that's the real uh impact for me ghostbusters 2 is slam dunk i can also sing all the words to uh bobby brown's on our own on our own of course i mean forwards and backwards yeah i know right too hot to handle too cold to hold
2: they call the ghostbusters
3: and you're in control
1: (laughs) but uh
2: we'll move on now so so that's a pretty good base to start so let's move over to brad i'm gonna go in age order uh, skipping myself <laughs> and holding to last. So, Brad, how about you? What was your first introduction?
4: Um, I mean, I have no clue. Uh, the, the movie came <laughs> out before I was born, uh, just a, a year or so before. Um, so, uh, I don't know. But I, I remember I had all the toys, like, growing up. I, my dad tells a story of, like, trying to track down uh, the original Ecto-1, which I now have, like, a, a new version, which they you know, came out with fairly recently it's just sitting in a corner and I never opened it up but um but yeah so I have stories like that where like my parents told me that like we watched this all the time when I was little and stuff so it's just something that was always a part of my life like literally always um I have a a fairly similar story about not being able to watch Ghostbusters um I I was like you know like six seven eight somewhere in that range and I was over at my grandma's house and my aunt was there at the same time and I turned. I saw Ghostbusters was on, so I turned it on, and I, I started watching it. And my aunt comes in and says, "You can't watch this." And I'm like, "What? Why? Why not?" And she's like, "No, you can't watch this." And she she was very much into her religion and stuff like that, so she just literally would not let me watch it. And I was I was just yelling at her, and I was like, <laughs> "I get to watch this movie all the time at my house. Come on!" Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, she's like, "Oh, you know, your
2: parents are going to hell."
4: pretty much yeah so uh so i have uh, a lot of strong feelings about ghostbusters as a kid Mm -hmm.
2: nice uh so hunter your memories yeah
4: so i
0: i don't know if i've ever talked about this on a podcast because i don't know where it would have come up but i did not grow up in a geeky family like i did not grow up in a pop culture family or people that talked in movie references. How do I mute
2: you on the podcast? (laughs) Well,
0: that's not my fault. I just didn't grow. I didn't grow up with people. (laughs) Thankfully, you know, we had good music taste, so I got that. But, you know, it was just one of those things where all of these movies, those movies that are normally – passed down to you or you experience like i kind of missed unless they were disney movies which is you know documented on disorder and everything Mm -hmm. like that um so ghostbusters my first time seeing this uh my family's military and we were stationed overseas and they had an awesome library there for us on base and the first time i saw ghostbusters i rented it from the public library um library apparently i don't know how to read from the public library And I rented Ghostbusters, and I took out Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is, you know, a great double feature. I'd recommend it to anybody. Um, But, yeah, that was my first – I remember taking it home and just being like, oh, man, this is funny. You've got a bit of that scary element to it, and you could just – I should have known at that point – that that was when I was really going to have a fondness for movies from the 70s and the 80s because that was my jam, and that's where I settled. And then Ghostbusters kind of went, you know, it was in my life, but it was not a focal point. I was obsessed with it for several years until about my teenager years, and then it kind of fell off for a little bit. But then, if you guys are listening from Grim Grinning House, you'll know that we are big fans of an event called Halloween Horror Nights. And a couple of years back now, they did a Ghostbusters house at HHN. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, when I heard the rumors, which was really, really early that year in 2019, I was like, oh my God, they're doing Ghostbusters. This is going to be incredible. And I sat down and I watched the movie for the first time in like, you know, two years or whatever, and just really set with it. And I was like, man, this really is one of my favorite things that's been lost. And then just revisiting it over and over and over in anticipation for the haunted house and its integration into the event that year. And then doing the house, which is walking through the movie and Mm -hmm. then just it's, it's never left since then. And in fact, it's even cemented itself as just one of my favorite things in the world. Nothing brings me joy like Ghostbusters does, and thankfully, it's a franchise with a ton of merchandise, so I get mm-hmm. to spend money on this all of the mm-hmm. time. Um, so yeah, Ghostbusters. We've been up and down, but for the last several years, it's just stuck with me. Uh, I feel very comfortable saying it's you know one of my top five movies of all time. It's just you know it's it's hard to
4: beat. It's wow. uh, it's been a journey, so, but yes. We- we know one of the one of the Fettuccinis uh, made an amazing Ghostbusters work of art back in the late '80s, right? But would you say the the true Renaissance was uh, Halloween Horror Nights for Ghostbusters?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Bringing it back, big scale. Uh, I'm more of a fan of the Alfredo cut personally, but I just you know we got to take what we can get. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Oh
2: man, I I really uh, I really enjoyed that house. So we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, but so. My memories of Ghostbusters, again, same thing for me as, you know, Brad always living with it and, and Eric getting to it a little bit later. I kind of have like a mixed bag, but I always remember Ghostbusters as part of my life. But I don't really remember when I first saw it. It came out when I was three. There's no way I saw it when I was three. But I am fairly positive that it is one of the first adult movies, quote unquote adult movies that I ever watched with my dad. And my dad watched a lot of movies. He had me watch some of the greats throughout my childhood. And Ghostbusters was one that we shared together and, you know, as a family with my mom as well. Uh, And so I just kind of remember I probably was maybe five or six. And then the second one came out when I was eight. And I just, I, I don't remember a life without Ghostbusters. And same as Eric I know every word on our own I can sing the whole Ghostbusters theme song um, I I just I love the music from the first movie you can just put on that music that just sounds like walking music it's just like you're kind of snapping your finger and walking with a little pep in your step you know it's just, uh, it's just like things that just live in my head and a, a story that I've told on at least one Uh, probably two other podcasts. Ghostbusters was such an instrumental part of my life that my parents, we would go to Disney World every year and Disneyland every, like, three or four years. And um, I was afraid a lot as a kid of rides that I thought were scary and, and dark. And the Haunted Mansion was one of those rides that I was scared to go on. And when I was probably six years old, right after I saw Ghostbusters for the first time that same year, we went to Disney, and I rode the Haunted Mansion, and my parents told me that I could be like a Ghostbuster and zap the ghosts away with my proton pack. And of course, it was all imaginary, but in my head, I wasn't scared of the ghosts, because I was a Ghostbuster. And it's it also then led to another part of my entire life, leading up to even where I am today, in that... From that moment, I wanted to be a Ghostbuster. And so I had the costume, I had all the toys, the proton pack, a trap that... I don't know if you all remember, but there was an old trap that was like an air pump that you stepped on the crappy air pump. And the trap actually opened because of a tube that ran to it that blew the air from the air pump. Um, I had that, and I just... I had the the firehouse toy, I had all the, the... you know, five-and-a-half-inch figures or whatever, however big they are. And I played Ghostbusters all the time. I wanted to be a Ghostbuster when I grew up. After the second movie, I was old enough to then understand that there's no such thing as Ghostbusters for real. They're actors portraying characters in a movie. Bro, what? And I know. Well, I'm sorry to ruin it for you. Sorry, everybody out there. Spoiler alert. How
0: the hell do I hang out this call?
2: <laughs> so I then realized that since it's not real... I could be a ghostbuster in a movie so then i wanted to be an actor and from about eight or nine years old i wanted to act and then that turned into wanting to direct and write and edit and just be a part of movie making i eventually wanted to start writing scores so i wrote music for a while um, movies became my life and wanting to be in movies became my life um, so much so that i went my first time in my first foray in college, my first two years, I was a theater major. Um, I thought I was going to move to, to Disney and start acting as a character at Disney when I started working there at 19. Um, and of course, you know, my career changed and I got more into hospitality, but I always wanted to write and direct and act. And, you know, Eric and I, when we both lived in Florida together, we would make videos together. And some of them are still on YouTube. Some of them are just on a a hard drive somewhere that I have, I know Eric, you have a ton of videos, some that we made together, some that you made on your own, but Ghostbusters has been such a big part of my life that it it shaped my life until I was you know nineteen and and beyond because I still like thinking that I want to write movies I still want to act even though I don't <laughs> um it's just it made me kind of who I am, and so I can thank Peter Venkman for that because I wanted to be him the most.
3: Well, this was a great first therapy session, Phil. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I'd like to see you three times a week now. Uh, we have a <laughs> lot to unpack with all of that. Um, I think, first of all, I want to ask your, your parents told you you were a small child and you could be a Ghostbuster and zap ghosts. Uh, did they write Afterlife? Oh, oh, man.
2: All right, let's hold on to that. Let's get there in a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's
2: get there in a minute. Um so I I do want to take a little bit of time, you know, we've talked about our our childhoods and our our first impressions with Ghostbusters, but I don't want to just end there. I want to talk about the first film and what makes it so great. So, really quick, I'm just going to give some stats here. So, Ghostbusters when it released in 1984, it became the highest grossing comedy in the United States of all time at $242 million. And it stayed the highest grossing comedy until 2003, which, believe it or not, Bruce Almighty of all movies usurped the title. But if you adjust for inflation from 1984, even all the way up to today, Ghostbusters made $610 million in today's money standards. So Ghostbusters was a huge hit, and it just, it was this phenomenon that everybody fell in love with, so much so that they really wanted to make a sequel, which we'll talk about that in a bit, but but the comedy that we got out of Murray, uh, out of Aykroyd, out of Ramus, and then bringing on another uh, unknown, kind of at the time, I think unknown, Ernie Hudson, um, to play Winston the four of them just gelled as a group. Um, so what what do you all remember from seeing it? And what do you all, what what sticks with you about the performances, about, uh, you know, Rick Moranis, obviously, too, is so great as Lewis Tully. But what's what stands out when you think about Ghostbusters? I
0: think Ghostbusters is the epitome of, like, I, I know there's a literal golden age of cinema, but if there's like a part two to that, right, I think Ghostbusters is a huge indicator of what movies were doing at the time. You know, we had gone through the revolution with star Wars, which I know at least everybody who's <laughs> listening to this and is on this podcast agrees with, mm-hmm. but we were also coming into our own as far as uh more advanced technology in the movies and getting legitimately just like crazy star power In these, uh, especially comedies, you know, we were coming from like the SNL era, which is pretty Mm -hmm. much where all this is coming from. And it's just, it's one of those movies that all of the pieces fit together so perfectly to make something that really cannot be replicated. Um, it, It really is one of those lightning in the bottle cases where you can even have the exact same formula But it's never going to fit together the way that it did because of it being what it is in the time and place that it came out and its continued cultural significance since then. Um, I really do put Ghostbusters up there with something like uh, Star Wars, uh, Mm -hmm. A New Hope. I just think it has stood that test of time and it's just an absolute cornerstone of movies. And I think Mm -hmm. that it kind of, it doesn't get lost. Ghostbusters is always recognized for the achievement that it is, and it has been ever since its release. Like, this has gone down as a classic from, you know, day one. Mm -hmm. But I feel like even with that, we sometimes lose sight of how innovative that this movie actually was, and when you sit back and you really think about it, you're like, man, we wouldn't have a lot of things without Ghostbusters, and we're just so lucky that we have this movie to enjoy in our lifetime.
2: Yep. I agree with that. I think it's, it's interesting for you to say that if there was a golden age or you could call out that it, it, kind of, it was a golden age, but it really wasn't. But I, I, I'd have to say, I think the eighties was a golden age for comedy, especially this kind of comedy. And really the comedy that Bill Murray was so good at in the eighties. Um, Eric mentioned that he didn't really watch stripes and Caddyshack and all that, but it's same with me, I didn't really watch them in the 80s, but in the 90s, I loved those movies. And no, well, I just wasn't,
3: did... yeah, I just wasn't old enough to appreciate them sure, when sure. they were new, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, same yeah. with me. Like, I didn't get most of the jokes in Caddyshack until I was a teenager, but I still loved seeing Bill Murray trying to destroy this dancing gopher,
0: <laughs> yeah. Totally. And I just think like even my favorite movies from uh, my favorite comedies going forward, like into the nineties, you know, like the nineties com- comedy is often derided, even though mm-hmm. we have some of our favorites, but some of the ones that I think are really great, like your, your Tommy boy or whatever, absolutely. And their DNA goes back to those eighties comedies yep. and just taking what works there.
2: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And you know, another Murray classic from the nineties is groundhog's day, which gets referenced a lot and gets played off a lot. and, you know, Eric and I even talked. We, we toyed with the idea of doing an episode of this show about Groundhog's Day and movies like it that were copied from that idea, uh, because we had watched whatever that one was called um, that was released on Hulu with Frank Grillo. With Frank last Grillo, year. yeah. And we were like, we could we could do an episode about this type of movie and how none of them have been as good as Groundhog's Day.
4: I was about to say Palm Springs, but then you said Frank Grillo, and I was very confused. Um, Yeah, I mean, Palm
0: Springs is so freaking good. It's
3: really good. It was was called Level Something, right? Like, it was a video game? Yeah. Boss level.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it was a a fun movie. It wasn't a good movie, but it was a fun movie. But it definitely tried to do the Groundhog's Day idea. And you, you guys are right. Palm Springs is really good. It's probably the second... Of those types of movies. I mean, Happy Death Day did a pretty fun job of it, too. But again, that's more of a fun movie.
0: I I recently got asked, like, what are the 10 movies that define you as a person? Like, yes, some of them are favorites. But like, if someone really wanted to get into who you are as a person, what would it Mm -hmm. be? And like on that list, it's like the Blues Brothers and American Werewolf in London and the Ghostbusters. And I just think like that particular like you know right before 1985 era 1980 Mm -hmm. to 1985 is just it's so so sweet for the comedy right
4: there it is i mean it's it it is really the comedy i feel like is is the main driving force that uh pulls you into that movie it to me it's so funny and even even like the simplest lines which may not really seem funny to me like i am dying laughing at everything (laughs) in that movie even if it's not even intended to be funny at this point. But like, I I remember watching that somewhat recently, uh, with my wife's family and like, I'm sitting there just, just dying (laughs) at everything and no one else in the room's laughing. And I'm like, wait, what you, you guys don't find this funny. But I'm like, I was just dying. I thought everything was funny. I still do. And, um, and also i think it really comes down to like the practical effects and the way that that stuff was blended sure it doesn't blend as great these days with like 4k and stuff like that or whatever it's on um but like it still looks really really good and when you see marshmallow man just walking down the, you know
1: mm-hmm.
4: the the avenue there it's like that how that is amazing like how did you do that back then and it's so good it's so impressive and it's so iconic like the this movie created so many like iconic images um, mm-hmm. and just devices and things that like really, I, I one of you said like stood the test of time, you know. So it's it's just so impressive. Um, I was watching the other night and just marveling at at Marshmallow Man and and Slimer just like flying around, like and it's it's really really impressive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that the thing that hooks me in every single time is. The the librarian, like if I am not in the mood to watch Ghostbusters and I start it, I mean I guess I'm always in the mood to watch Ghostbusters. But if I start the movie and I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I could be doing other things. I could go, I I gotta do this. I gotta do that. But then they get to the library scene.
1: This is hot, Ray.
2: Symmetrical book stacking, just like the Philadelphia Man's turbulence of 1947. You're right, no human being would stack books like this. Listen, you smell something? Like There's things that happen in that scene that are good physical comedy that make me start smiling, and then when the librarian shushes them and then becomes this huge, awful-looking doll of a monster,
4: yeah,
2: it's, I'm just, all right, I'm, I'm watching this movie, I guess. I'm here yeah, for the next yeah. 95 minutes yeah. just watching the it's, rest of this.
4: That back and forth in that scene alone, like Peter just goes out there and he's like, hello. And and you're like, mm-hmm. I'm dying. <laughs> and he just said the word hello. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is, is that you
0: just like, there is an inherent charisma, obviously, to all of these actors, but together, it just, it really has not been replicated. I think we got pretty darn close recently, but you know, it's just, uh, it's so that scene is a perfect, perfect balance of comedy and the the scary elements of Ghostbusters. And if you mm-hmm. had to pull one scene, Phil, I think that is yep. the, the yeah. library scene is what you would pull between symmetrical book stacking and you know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and all that. Just the the getter, of course,
4: is is pretty iconic. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the scary stuff, and I feel like that's something we've overlooked so far. It's like it was kind of like our intro point into like horror and stuff like that, like, like that genre, it's not inherently scary in itself. You know, maybe there's some things sometimes my son is like cuddling up on me and he's like saying, daddy, can you protect me? And I'm like, yeah, man, I, I got this. Um, But like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's comical, but it, it brought us into this world that I know so many of us here are like just obsessed with, you know, is scary stuff, ghosts, all that good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think a, a big part of that is, also the soundtrack it really you know lets you sit in that world and it seems scary but then it sounds like w- like walking music like you were saying yeah. before about that <laughs> the fun stuff like it, it really goes back and forth between these different genres of of music and then of course the theme song itself like i mean yeah. there's not maybe not even a better song out there um but oh, so Ray parker
2: jr it's knocked so it out of the park and then he disappeared but he knocked that out of the park
0: that is one of the best key and peel skits though the other (laughs) hits of ray parker jr if if anybody's listening and have not seen that please go and look that up because it's really darn good i will say the ghostbusters soundtrack really is one of my 10 desert island records i just think that diversity that's on there makes it and it gets that cut like even even stuff like uh Brad, i know you'll appreciate this because i've got a real close attachment to it the thompson twins with in the name of love is now like one of my most jam songs (laughs) of all time just because of the way it was used in the marathon of mayhem pre-show but you know the whole the the whole reason i'm bringing this up i'm just throwing it out there ghostbusters is great it's perfect i still like cleaning up the town better cleaning up the town is 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 the definitive Mm. ghostbusters
4: song for me interesting Huh, I mean
1: that's
3: still good. Can't go yes. wrong. Yeah, still good. Eric, like I said, I saw it in bits and pieces on on TV and stuff for for a long time. I, I don't think I was. It was probably high school.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: it was definitely after the second Ghostbusters that I even saw the whole Ghostbusters like sitting down, start to finish, not just like catching it five ten minutes in, oh but uh, but yeah. I mean, it, it. I don't remember who said it, but it was it was lightning in a bottle like i don't think these guys were trying to make like the epic that they made they they were just you know they were making hey we did an army film hey you know ackroyd was in the blues brothers those were characters from the old snl days and Mm -hmm. and Then it's like, well, hey, what if we chase ghosts and let's put that together? And with, again, the personality of Bill Murray, like a young Bill Murray, when he like was in his prime, putting forth as much effort as he could muster into every scene, which Mm -hmm. sometimes was basically putting no effort into a scene, which is what made it hysterical. Yeah, and yeah. and and it's just a personality. You could make Ghostbusters back in '84 with a different actor as the lead guy, and you're not gonna probably remember it as fondly, and you're probably not gonna laugh at those scenes. That I think it was a Brad that was saying that, uh, at families are cracking up, or you're cracking up, and the families are like, I don't, I don't get it. But it's like it was Bill Murray that that does that. Liz and I had the film on the other night and we were laughing too at things that were just normal lines because you're watching Mm -hmm. a true true hollywood personality and uh i actually googled some ghostbusters stuff and and uh dan Aykroyd and bill murray were on uh the tonight show with johnny carson and they were uh promoting Ghostbusters and it hadn't come out yet. And Bill Murray was like so low key and Ackroyd is just sitting there like just with this goofy grin on his face. Cause he knows it's, it's Bill just being this weird version of Bill in front of Carson. And uh, it was just funny just watching him and he wasn't even trying to be funny, but you're hanging on every word that he says. So yeah, I, I don't think, I don't even think they were really trying to do what they ended up with it just connected. And it's one of those Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. Lightning in a bottle. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
3: if you go back to how the movie was even,
2: how it even came to be, Dan Aykroyd had been fascinated with paranormal, the belief in the paranormal forever. His father wrote a book called the history of ghosts and his mother had claimed to see ghosts. And, Mm His grandfather experimented with radios to contact the dead and his great grandfather was a spiritualist. So Dan Aykroyd comes from this lineage of people who had a connection to the paranormal. Um, They talked
3: about that with Carson.
2: Yeah. It's just so interesting to me that like he has this history. So he comes up with this amazing comedy film with people that he, that he worked with, that he knew could carry this film and they got, Ivan Reitman to direct it and we haven't said anything about his direction because you know you mentioned Stripes Eric and he directed Stripes he also directed Animal House I mean that guy was a legend directing comedies already in the mid-80s and so this powerhouse of the four of them together was just like it it was this revolutionary film that we that we got to see in the mid-80s and and we're all better for it's just Ah, it's so cool,
0: yeah, and I guess a couple things like the, that I wanted to bring up is we're so lucky with Ghostbusters that there is an infinite wealth of knowledge. Ghostbusters goes as deep as you would like to go into it. Um, you could watch the movies that made Us episode that came out last year, which is a really great uh, dive into it. I think that's where I heard the story that with Bill he signed on for the movie and then went incognito in Paris for like two months and nobody could get a hold of him. And then the day of shooting, he showed up like five minutes before, before call and he was ready to go. And I just think that's, that's incredible. And you know what? We're giving a lot of praise to bill because I do think for a lot of people, Venkman is that character that is, you know, he is the face of ghostbusters and for good reason
2: and he's the everyman too.
0: I see I consider Winston the everyman because he is He comes in separate. To. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is supposed to be our viewpoint as far as just being like the 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 regular guy. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, the, kind of along those lines is I think yes, Bill is great. And you know, that's been documented. We've talked about it. But the reason Ghostbusters works so well is that the trio and then eventually all four of them together Mm -hmm. and them having their own distinct personalities. Everybody has their own favorite ghostbuster and anybody who really loves this movie, you're guaranteed to get a big um, variety of answers on why, who is your favorite? Why are they your favorite? And then I think that's something that the franchise has openly embraced is that ghostbusters is not defined by, one person in the case of Bill Murray in the case of like the Jedi for a lot of people are you know identified as Luke Skywalker a Ghostbuster can be anybody because you have all these people from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. and I think like that's a huge huge part of the success and uh, I just think Dan and Harold and uh, Bill and Ernie really really are key to why this franchise has remained at the level that it has
3: Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm saying anything that the folks on this podcast don't know, but uh, Eddie Murphy was originally who they wanted for the Winston Zedmore character, but uh, Eddie didn't want to do it for whatever reasons.
2: Well, I think, you know, just taking a guess here, but Beverly Hills Cop came out that same year. sure. And I wonder if he wanted to make sure that he wasn't lost amongst those other guys, you know, cause they were all SNL together. He, maybe he wanted his own franchise and didn't want to be, you know, play fourth fiddle.
3: Oh, sure. The, there's, the there's, I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, career maneuvering there. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. wanting to be part of the ensemble, starring in his own movie. Um, getting ready to record a hit single. Um, (laughs) You you know what's funny? Can you do air quotes on the podcast or not?
0: (laughs) I mean, party all the time rocks. Let's actually, let's take a break and just listen to the whole thing right now. Perfect. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No, I I will say that Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters, if you put them next to each other, as far as um, the box office take, Ghostbusters did better in the U.S., but Beverly Hills Cop did better overseas and so when you look at that year of 1984's worldwide box office total Beverly Hills Cop actually made more money than Ghostbusters which is crazy it makes me wonder
0: if uh, Ghostbusters is an inherent I feel like Ghostbusters is a very American yeah. franchise like I know it's beloved worldwide but I feel like it is very specific to the United States
3: mm-hmm. um yeah. you mentioned uh Earlier, Phil, you mentioned Ernie uh, Hudson being a relative unknown. He'd actually his first film was in '76, um, but all the way up through Ghostbusters, he's got like 20 different one episode of Dukes of Hazard, one episode of Different Strokes, one episode of Three's Company, one episode of this. So he he really didn't have much of a uh, of a name at that point. Um, But he did have uh, a lot of experience on many, many different productions, most of it Mm -hmm. television and made-for-TV movie stuff. But uh, I wonder if that then, too, was their thought. Like, after they couldn't get Eddie Murphy, they're like, well, wait a minute. Why are we, you know, looking for, like, another, hey, maybe maybe we go with somebody that people don't know because we're already, you know, stars. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: (laughs) And then I think that actually worked because – Possibly adding somebody, I don't know. I, I I guess I just can't see anybody else besides uh Ernie Hudson doing that. I I don't know how Eddie Murphy would have worked into that group. I that might have been yeah that might have been too much. His different type of styles. comedy,
2: yeah. His, his type of comedy would have taken Winston in a completely different direction. And Hunter, you're right. With I said Bill Murray's the or Peter Venkman was the everyman. I you're right in in calling me out wrong on that because Peter Venkman is the one that most people identify with of the three core Ghostbusters, but Winston is the everyman. He's the guy who comes in and doesn't really believe all this mumbo-jumbo, but he wants a paycheck, just like He's the rest seen of us. He's
0: shit that will turn you white. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy,
2: ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis?
1: Uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say.
0: Yeah. And it is one of the just talking, a li- I mean, not to expand upon because we have a lot to cover, but mm-hmm. just, um, you know, it is one of those things that when Eddie Murphy was not signed on, Winston's role got substantially reduced. I think he went from showing up on something like page five or, or somewhere around there to getting pushed back to, I think, like page 40 or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have the exact numbers, but that's pretty Well documented that Winston had a much bigger part and actually had a lot of the really quotable lines that were then dispersed amongst the other three. Mm -hmm. And I am just just in case I forget to bring it up later. I'm glad that this franchise I'm glad that the fan base has always fully engaged and embraced Winston and I know Ernie Hudson like that role means the world to him and mm-hmm. I think that is one of the best parts about the the Ghostbusters that we are experiencing today is Winston is really getting his due now and it's it's awesome to
2: see. Yeah, agreed. Um I don't want to shortchange the rest of the cast. We've talked a lot about the main cast, but Sigourney Weaver just amazing as Dana um just she's really i mean the
0: the dudes are awesome but mm-hmm. she's like full on movie star yeah. at this point between alien uh, alien yeah. and and everything else mm-hmm. but yeah just she's she's killing it in this she's amazing
2: how you know her performance stands up is that she had to play opposite bill murray and in some scenes she outshines him and that's hard to do when you're on the screen with this character of peter vinkman that bill just encapsulated Um, when she gets possessed and it's a lot of physical comedy that she has to do both physical comedy slash physical horror with a possession possession. But you know, his lines are what people laugh at when they're watching the scene, but the way that she can act during all, all that's going on around her and her having to be on like a weird, um, what was she on she was like on a plexiglass board that they were floating like she is amazing and uh I just want to make sure that we don't gloss over her uh, and and the eggs that had to lose to the countertop <laughs> in her house
0: yes yes totally I mean the the infamous like couch grab and everything mm-hmm. like that that is huge in a key moment and then I just feel like dana with her moment being the the gatekeeper Mm -hmm. that's just i mean that's as iconic imagery as even like the terror dogs or anything like that that all goes hand in hand yeah um i can't name the amount of uh gatekeeper merch that i I bought (laughs) over the years Uh, you know if we're we're talking about the cast as a whole you know you mentioned him briefly a minute ago phil or what was this 30 minutes ago at this point point. but rick Rick moranis Moranis, of course is great i just think it's hilarious that um john gandy was supposed to originally be Mm -hmm. in that role and he was playing him as like this this thick accent german guy and they were like this is not going to work and then rick comes in and just completely kills it he's i feel like he He gets discussed, right? He's very beloved, but even when I'm thinking about Ghostbusters, he's not the element that comes to mind, and then every time when I'm watching it, I'm like, you really are, like, one of the best, like, Mm -hmm. you are one of the top two things in this movie, and you're kind of completely forgotten all the time, even by the diehards.
2: Mm -hmm. His lines, just his delivery of lines in everything he says is just so good. When he's hosting his party the comedy that he brings out of his character the way that he delivers his lines and says the things that he says and it's just he's he wants to be that guy so bad he wants to be the life of the party he wants to entertain people he wants to just be there for people and he's trying so hard and every time i feel a little bad for him because all these people came to his party but you can tell they don't really like him
3: (laughs) well they were his business partners that's why yeah they weren't really his friends, but uh I had read somewhere that uh he had improved a lot of his dialogue and just sort of from his <laughs> old s c t v days just mm-hmm. sort of kind of made the character himself and I don't think that he like wrote his whole part, of course, mm-hmm. but I think just in in different takes he just kind of went off, especially when he's introducing people in the party and what they do for mm-hmm. a living, and this and that was oh he's yeah.
0: It's so good like the I'm giving this hey, whole thing
2: as a promotional expense. That's why I invited <laughs> clients instead of friends. You having a good time, Mark?
0: <laughs> hey, this is real smoked salmon from Nova Scotia, Canada. 24.95 a pound. It only cost me 14.12 after tax though.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: so good. Who brought the dog? Yep. Um yeah, yeah, he's so good. And I just, you know, it is one of those fun pairings because it's just the visual element of Rick Moranis and all of his glory with mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver, that pairing right there. When they show up and the clothing's all tattered and everything like that,
2: Um, <laughs> it's it's so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Janine, too, Annie Potts in the movie, does a great job. I mean, Gosh, Ghostbusters, what, what do you want? want? It's like the most yeah. New York. I grew up with that. You know, I grew up in New York and I grew up near the city and people like Janine Melnitz were in my life every day. And so it was just fun to see like my aunt up on screen.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's just, you know, we we can go through and do each character one mm-hmm. by one by one, but anybody that loves Ghostbusters knows that the characters are great. Um even even characters like the mayor, he's so great. And then I you know, there's there's that great little anecdote where Ivan's like, you should play it up a little bit more. He's like, play it up against Bill Murray? No way, I need to be the straight guy. I need to, like,
2: do this. And William Atherton.
3: I am Walter Peck, sir, and I'm prepared to make a full report.
1: These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. People think they're seeing ghosts. And they call these bozos who conveniently
3: show up to deal with the problem with a fake electronic light show. Everything was fine <clears throat> with our
2: system until the power grid was shut off by dickless here.
3: They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. This city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. What do you mean biblical what he means is old testament mr mayor real wrath of god type stuff fire and brimstone coming down from the skies rivers and seas boiling 40
0: years of darkness earthquakes volcanoes the dead rising from the grave
2: human
3: sacrifice dogs and cats living together mass hysteria
0: and i just think all these characters when i'm talking about all of the elements coming together and it really just being one of those movies where everything is on the same page that, that is the entire cast. Like, there is mm-hmm. not a weak link. There is not a character in here that is not good from, you know, from the, the main four all the way down to the guy uh, waiting for the elevator.
3: What are you supposed to be, some kind of a cosmonaut? <laughs> no, we're exterminators. Somebody saw a cockroach up on 12 That's got to be some cockroach.
2: Like yep.
0: <laughs> that guy is iconic. Like people can cosplay that guy. And like you would understand why he's there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think it's great.
2: I I do want to make sure before we move on that we just call out that Res- Reginald Vell Johnson, who's the, always a police officer
3: is a police mm. officer. In I this know meeting. he's a, he's a New York cop an LA cop <laughs> and a Chicago cop. He's got See, all the bases covered. He's been everywhere.
2: He just needs to go to Denver and he hits every time zone. <laughs> oh, Hawaii too.
4: One of my favorite uh, people in this movie is, is the woman who's working at the hotel and like they, you know, they, they shoot at her and, and everything's on fire. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? And like, and like, they're like, sorry, we thought you were somebody else or whatever. It's like, I'm just dying. I love her reaction the to fact- that. It's so funny.
0: The line made it into the Halloween Horror Nights house, which is how you know (laughs) it's important.
3: Mm. Yeah. Oh, man. I think the best thing about Ghostbusters, though, is there was no intention to do a sequel. Mm -hmm. It was just done. The same way like you do an Animal House or you do a Stripes, it's just here's Ghostbusters. We're putting everything into it. We're not holding anything back. And let's just go. And I think the same thing with like Beverly Hills Cop. That's a great movie. There was probably no intention to make a sequel, otherwise they would have probably written it a little bit more to lend itself to a sequel because then Beverly Hills Cop 2, it's it's got some funny parts, but it's pales in comparison to its original. So I think that's a lot of the reason for the success of Ghostbusters is it was never intended to, I don't think anybody was thinking we're going to have a sequel in 2021 to this guys. It's, it's just put it out there, do it and then move on to the next project. Oh wait, it made a lot of money. Well, all right then let's see what we can do. And yeah. Yeah. And I think those guys were just young enough at the time and, and, willing to like do it and I don't even think they were doing it necessarily for the paycheck as much as they were like well I got a lot of other projects but sure Ghostbusters was fun let's do it again
2: well I mean it took Murray forever to sign on to it there's a, there's like a common
0: common theme through there right yep. yeah apparently the dude only accepts projects by like a little dial up phone or whatever mm-hmm. uh, or something like that but yep. yeah. still
2: even to this yeah. day
0: yeah completely I, I read the list where it was like 10 movies Bill Murray wishes he could have done and he's got like a whole regret list because he's just missed really great calls which I think is great. Um but then Zombieland comes through and gives mm-hmm. us one of his best performances so. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so anything else on Ghostbusters 1 before we move on to the other 3 films in the franchise? Terror Dogs, Gozer, Zool
0: Look, unless we were doing a full movie breakdown, we, we cannot.
2: We've yeah. already
4: been here it's, 50 It's minutes. too long on this. Yeah. <laughs> it's all great. It's all great. It is. Yeah, it is. If you haven't
2: watched Ghostbusters, what's wrong with you? Get out there and watch it. I think you know the movie now since we've talked about it, but go watch it. So five years later, in the summer of 89, Ghostbusters 2 comes out, and everybody thought this was going to be a smash. The first one, as I said, most successful comedy of all time. They thought we got... We got the, all the actors back. It's bigger. It's better. Or I should, maybe not better. So they released it, and it was panned by critics. Critics didn't like it. They they said it was a copy of the original, but was made more family-friendly to try to at- attract a bigger audience, and fell flat. Um, it made only $215 million, which I say only. I mean, in, in the 80s, that's good, but... When you start with 282, 215 is a big disappointment. Uh, and Columbia Pictures deemed it a financial and critical failure. And then that is what basically made Bill Murray say, I'm not touching Ghostbusters again until obviously recently.
3: It did make six times its budget, though. Yeah. So it's, it,
0: I love that it's the Disney before Disney frame of thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, it made money. It just didn't make enough money. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's one of those. And, and Phil, I just, I think it's really important for those who, you know, if you're listening to this, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know your Ghostbusters, but for the one or two of you out there, just like <laughs> Ghostbusters, between these two movies, had really become just one of the biggest franchises in the world between the cartoon and mm-hmm. all the different merchandising and everything Comic books. like that. So. Yeah, exactly. Hugely, hugely anticipated, and that's why the movie's considered a flop, I think.
2: Yeah. I think so, too. I mean, I, I loved it. I didn't know that I shouldn't loved it. have loved it. And I think part part of it, too, is that it was a little more family-friendly. There was less sexual references, which we didn't even talk about. The part of Ghostbusters, one that I absolutely hate, which is Ray having that dream about a ghost going down on him. I, I feel like that has no place in the film, and I don't know why it's there, but it's there to the theme song of Ghostbusters. Um, because gut- Bustin' makes you feel good, I guess. Um, but, I mean, that's probably why he wrote that line, Don't right? Don't we all. Well, that's,
3: that's yeah. That's.
2: I mean, that yeah. that that part in the song comes right around that sequence. So I think it's written on Oh, pearls. yeah. But anyway.
3: It's, it, it's certainly a veiled reference. Mm-hmm. But, Maybe not even so veiled. <laughs> not veiled
2: at all. But at Ghostbusters 2, there was a lot less of the adult humor and a lot more humor that me as a eight, nine-year-old could really understand. And well, so sure. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Go Because again, it was, it was made to just be what it was. And then once you got something like that and you want to make money off of it, well, now you've, now you're thinking, well, how do we get more people to like this? Well, we got to, make it less raunchy. Like, I mean, that's the same thing with Beverly Hills cop to Beverly Hills cop Two. Mm-hmm. you know, and I cite it mainly because it's the same era, um, less time between, mm-hmm. uh, sequels, but still Beverly Hills cop two, to me feels like a very sanitized, uh, version, even though they go to the playboy mansion, but you know, it's, <laughs> it still feels like sanitized compared to what the first one was. It's a lot grittier, um, and then, yeah, this one definitely more family friendly and and again, not having seen the original, I was only thirteen when this came out, saw it on h b o came out in the summer, so then it was on h b o probably by that winter whatever and uh and I thought it was a riot mm-hmm. i I enjoyed it, but again, I was thirteen if I would have been. Say twenty five saw the first Ghostbusters, and then thirty Ghostbusters two. I would have been like, "What? That's not. That's not Ghostbusters. That's not Ghostbusters." Yeah, I think
2: you you know, as as a as a eight year old to ten year old, you know, however old I was when I really watched this multiple times. Once we got it on VHS again, Eric, you said wore it out. Same thing. We wore out our copies of Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters two. I loved the fact that. They discovered slime that reacts to emotions and that it was there was so much slime under the city because New Yorkers are assholes. And I just thought that was so funny because I was from New York and I would I lived in the Bronx when this movie <laughs> came out. You know, I lived I lived minutes from New York City. I was in a borough just outside of Manhattan. So like I absolutely love that the negative emotions of New Yorkers created this slime. Because I was like, of course, where else would it be?
3: Hey, it's New Yorkers' God-given right <laughs> to be angry. That's, That's right. right.
2: <laughs> so I just I I felt connected to the movie in that way too, which we've talked about before on this podcast. Movies that are set in New York have a d- different place for me because I know right. it right. Know?
3: And lucky you, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. many movies happen in New York. So you kind of feel like, wow, these are this all happened where I lived. Yeah, th-
2: I mean, from the first movie, the the lions at the library. I still, to this day, when I get off the train at Grand Central, if I'm ever visiting home and I go to the city, if I get off the train at Grand Central and walk to Times Square, you pass the library, and I look off to the left library. and I see... Library. The library, yeah, library. I look off to the left and I see those lions, and I feel just like I did as a kid when I saw them on the movie and I knew where they were. There's just something inherently fun about knowing the place, and mm-hmm. I, I felt more connected to it. So in this movie... I had been to the Statue of Liberty at least twice, and that is the big, you know, the the climax of the movie is the Statue of Liberty has slime all over it, and it's walking because of the song, which is so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, I I loved, I loved it.
1: And, and Hunter, I stepped hear... on you before,
2: so sorry.
0: Uh, I was just going to say, and you can still hear higher and higher in the New York section mm-hmm. of Universal Studios Florida. It's just playing through there, and it's it's gorgeous. I think Brad and I heard it when we were doing a very, very early uh, trip to the park at, like, 6 a.m. <laughs> one time. Do you remember that, Brad? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that was during 29 season, so it was really fresh on the mind. Well, what I was going to say real quick, Phil, is that, you know, this movie, they were kind of put into a box because of the, the franchise's success with real Ghostbusters. It's pretty, mm-hmm. it's pretty notated that the whole reason the movie was made how it was is because they had to pulling the kid audience. Like, right. even down to Winston losing his mustache. That's because that's what the <laughs> character looked like. You know, never mind the fact that Egon had bleach blonde hair right, in the right. in the cartoon series. But, yeah, well, Winston that's fun had to curl to in his the front. mustache. Yeah, and that's where we see, you know, Slimer getting more and more integrate, uh, integrated and just even a lot of his stuff got cut. But this whole movie was very much... Um, I think the fact that we got... A movie as watchable as Ghostbusters 2, despite it being one of those movies by committee, says a lot to the cast that's in this, Mm -hmm. um, who are doing the absolute best with what they've got. And if there is a flaw to Ghostbusters 2, it's just that it's not Ghostbusters 1. Like, that is the cardinal sin of Ghostbusters 2, I think.
2: Well, I I think to go back to everything we just talked about, though, about the first movie, is that the cast, top to bottom, was great. And I think in Ghostbusters 2, there were some characters that just fell a little more flat. Like, Peter McNichol was great as Janosch. And the the mayor was back, David Margulies. Almost everybody else is kind of forgettable. I mean, I guess Vigo, you know, Vigo's great. But everybody else, I, I guess I remember the judge because of the opening scene. But I don't, I can't say that I can pinpoint other cast members that are minor parts,
3: like you can in the first Ghostbusters. Bobby Brown was the doorman. Mm. that's true. <laughs> Bill Murray's brother was a psychiatrist in the prison.
2: Really, I don't think I knew that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, Phil, you're totally. And this, like, this just feels like, despite it having a more explosive finale, I just think the the scope of this movie is substantially smaller as far as like despite it having larger repercussions the movie feels smaller um mm-hmm. and I think that's a huge part of it it does not escalate but even the quote-unquote small scenes in Ghostbusters feel epic in comparison whether that is you know something like the library scene before we even start actually busting ghosts mm-hmm. that scene is just more put together an epic feeling than I think almost everything in Ghostbusters 2 and and that's a huge part of it it doesn't have those real standout moments it has scenes I really like but there's nothing like unless I'm doing like a whole franchise rewatch Ghostbusters 2 gets played New Year's and and that's about it meanwhile Ghostbusters (laughs) comes on any time of year
2: yeah yeah. you know it's, it's interesting you say it seems smaller because that's I don't know that I could put that to words before but you're right in that it does feel more contained and maybe it has to do with the way they shot the film maybe they they had to be on sound stages more than in New York City like they were in the first one because there's a lot of time when I think about Ghostbusters 2 I'm not remembering the scenes outside or you know I'm, I'm remembering maybe a few scenes in the museum but it's indoors or underground because they're going down into the subway tunnels, the old subway tunnels that were there years before they built the new subway. And maybe maybe that's why it feels smaller because they're they're not out in the open as much. In Ghostbusters 1, that when they do their montage, they're out on city streets. They're catching a ghost who's running through Central Park. Um they're like they're they're doing things outdoors, they're driving around New York City, and in this movie, I when I think back to it, I can't remember those those sequences. Maybe I'm off, maybe I'm way the, off.: The runner, just the can't.
4: runner was in the second movie, um, yeah, so which was he? You know, I yeah. completely really? disagree oh, okay. with everything you guys just said. Um, (laughs) because I feel like this movie, (laughs) like, I I feel like it expands the world so much. And I don't really feel like closed off by a lot of these scenes or anything. And I, the montage and uh, the montage is awesome because it does expand it. They've got different costumes. They're wearing different clothes. Like they've got Christmas hats on. Um, they're, they're showing like so many Bustins. you know there's they're busting ghosts all over the city which i love and the fact that like this movie brings in like the titanic uh like just massive things the that end like, yes yeah,
2: the end is pretty huge
4: Yeah, it's it's amazing like i feel like it opens the world so much and that you know the clothing especially is just a really cool one because it they give you new uniforms at some point they're wearing just like I don't know if it's like a raincoat or something, just like yellow outfits. Like, so it feels very much like a cartoon in that way. Where I think it's just in like, that
2: sequence, they were working with the fire department. So they were wearing the fire departments. Oh, maybe. Yellow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. That I was. remember yeah. that. Now.
4: Um, but yeah, it's just like it feels like it opens the world up for me and expands it and, and builds it out so much more. Um, and, you know, I understand that, like, when you when you really look at this movie on its on the face value, it's pretty absurd. Like some of the stuff, <laughs> you know, specifically yeah. the end of the movie, like for what reason is there a, a renaissance painting of them in that? You know, that makes yeah. no yeah. sense yeah. whatsoever. No and and I feel like that stuff doesn't happen in the first movie, but in the way that like I uh I, I, who said it before? Somebody said it before that like this movie hit at the right time or something. Um this one I think was the one that was on the TV the most when I was a kid, so I just watch mm-hmm. this one all the time, and for it so many years, yeah, probably Super <laughs> to yeah. yeah. For so many years, this was the well, this uh, was the Ghostbusters that I watched, like you know, over less and over. The and edit over again.
3: too. Yeah. Less to edit as yeah. far as bleeping and cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: no, you're yeah. Right. That's True, yeah.
4: But I, think... I, I don't know. I just I love this one so much, and I, I I see the flaws, the issues that people have with it, but to me, I don't care. I literally I love it so much.
2: Yeah, I, no, I I don't think any of us don't love it. I just, there is something about it though. And I th- I thought, you know, what Hunter said about it being smaller fit for me. But I guess some of the scenes that I'm remembering from the first are actually from the second maybe. So I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I, I just haven't watched <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 in a long time.
4: Yeah, I'm not saying you guys disliked. I'm just saying like the, the broader audience the broader out audience. there mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't get it. Like, I love yeah. it. I'm I think you somewhere... did find it.
3: Oh, go, go on ahead, Eric. Sorry oh, about that. That's, that's all right. I was gonna say I'm somewhere in between. I, I don't think if it, it didn't feel small to me. It it and and the Titanic and all of the extra ghosts didn't really open the world for me. Um and I'm kinda of saying this more from my adult perspective now than as a kid, because as a kid I didn't think about these things when it came to movies. Um but I I think it just again just suffers from that 80s sequelness and and without just a long list of 80s sequels to, to throw out there as evidence you know except for just right now because it's <laughs> just so fresh Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2 it just suffered from like this we never intended to make another movie oh but now let's do it and then we've got parameters to um to kind of adhere to because of its uh success with children I, I it it just i think that is where i i see what you're saying about the smallness because it's like well we never intended to even do this what could we do and it it just has a yeah it didn't go bigger but i don't think it necessarily went smaller you know it just sure It just wasn't it just wasn't ever intended to to go this way so yeah yeah that, that's fair
0: sometimes you get an empire strikes back or a godfather 2 or aliens and sometimes you get ghostbusters 2 you know it just it happens um and i i think right. like that is not to go like and, and i know you guys have covered it before but that's like the biggest issue i think with most movies today by major studios is that everything's a franchise and nothing's standalone. If it turns into a franchise great, but I am so sick of cliffhangers and setups for movies that are never made now because they don't make a billion dollars and they only make 400 million. And anyways, neither here nor there.
3: Well, you, you named named a good one. I don't, I don't know if, if aliens was ever intended to be a sequel, but uh, from alien, or if that was just supposed to be a one-off, but that was incredible. The other one that I think did a a really good job uh, of from the 80s of I don't think they ever really intended to do a sequel as much as they sort of left it open vague enough. But Back to the Future and then but then they wrote two and three as deliberate tie in. Here's the you you know what I mean? It's almost like Act One is Back to the Future one and then Act Two is two and three kind of together like act two and then act two later that night kind of thing so so there are there are cases for sure when it and it did work it's just again i would have put ghostbusters in with like a stripes animal house like ah those movies you wouldn't really make a sequel to them and then all of a sudden (laughs) ghostbusters found family success and and then it's like oh well let's do it
2: yeah 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 you know when you talk about sequels in the 80s you can't I'd be remiss if I didn't say Police Academy 2, their first assignment. Like, gosh, what a great sequel.
1: <laughs> yes. I don't know if you're joking or not.
2: <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, uh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, you know, it, it makes me wonder if there was maybe, maybe the reason it took so long for Ghostbusters 2 to get made. Maybe they were trying to like Temple of Doom it. Maybe they were like doing a prequel and it was just the three guys in the college just going about their normal day-to-day lives. And they're like, man, we... We got to get some ghosts in here somehow.
2: Well, you know what's um, what's funny is I was reading up on this to prepare for this episode, and I came across some things that I never knew about Ghostbusters 2, which is that the first draft, Ackroyd wanted to avoid using New York City and set it in another country, and uh, one of the things the Ghostbusters that did stick... Far From Home? Yeah, Far From Home. I was the literally thing that,
4: saying that joke <laughs> in my head.
2: <laughs> the thing that stuck is that he wanted to, because the first movie was a skyscraper, he wanted to include something underground. And so that stuck for Ghostbusters 2, but he originally was drafting the film where Dana gets kidnapped and is taken to Scotland where she discovers a fairy ring, which... Halloween 3 Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. It creates, like, this underground like when you go into this fairy ring you go underground and then you meet witches and stuff that are under like it was really out there and didn't really focus so much on ghosts but more on folklore and so he said it's just too far out there I gotta rewrite this
0: thank god yeah Mm. (laughs) Yeah. you know it is one of the now. now you got me thinking about like the various spins that we've had on Ghostbusters throughout the years which if it's been a while go back and watch Evolution Evolution's a real good time it is a good movie um
2: yeah but David Duchovny really tried to make that jump to to leading man and just couldn't do it
0: really try he just could not pull it off um but yeah Ghostbusters 2 I guess to go you know just like put my final thoughts on it anyways there are really great scenes in there like I would put the courtroom scene you know I said there's nothing mm-hmm. as epic as the library I think the courtroom scene is there however it is complete bullshit that Winston is not there for that moment yeah I will never you. understand that decision Agreed. I hate Like that. I just why it's a great scene but in the back of my head I'm like all four of them are in trouble why mm-hmm. is Winston not there He is yep. just
4: conspicuously missing that does bug yep. me for sure Yeah, same. I
3: I would say, well, go ahead, Phil.
2: No, I, I I just was gonna say I do like that he and he and uh, Dan Aykroyd, he and Ray, are entertaining kids at
3: children's parties when (laughs) they can't get work. Yes, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I, I do. So there's two ways to go, right? Like you had this big success five years ago, like as characters, and what happened, right? Like anything, you got to strike when the iron's hot and so presumably through that time period their popularity waned they never got paid by the city they kind of got panned their popularity went away there weren't any ghosts and so yeah they're doing the birthday parties soon. and stuff <laughs> so yeah so i liked i liked that premise um yeah. that that they've kind of you know peter had to go back to sort of being a charlatan um mm-hmm. and what was Egon doing?
0: Valentine's
3: Day, bummer. Yeah, <laughs> I've just—I've yeah. never
0: I love understood. That. I've never understood the story for Ghostbusters too, like how they got there. Yeah. like the whole timeline from heroes of the city to being down on their luck. Like I've just never really understood that. Timeline, the life of a to be New Yorker, honest. Yeah, I guess that is it, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just well, ups and downs.
3: Let's remember that when we get to afterlife, because the timeline certainly is in question there, but Mm -hmm. as far as two being the sequel to one and afterlife being a sequel to one, they went in the different or not necessarily a different direction, but they, they, they took it in the direction of, yeah, they lost their, their, their popularity. There are no ghosts. And if you're a ghostbuster, what are you supposed to do if there's no ghosts? Mm -hmm. And they were just popular enough to still, um, get birthday parties, but still uh, everybody wanted He-Man instead. Face it, Ghostbusters doesn't exist. Here from now, those kids won't even remember who we are. Ungrateful little yuppie larva
1: after all we did for this city. Yeah. They conjured up a hundred foot marshmallow man through the top three floors off an uptown high rise, ended up getting sued by every state, county, and city agency in New York. Yeah, but what a ride.
3: But that is where I do like I I, I do give Ghostbusters too. It's like you, they at least made a choice, right? They could have been heroes and or or whatever, or nope, they're going to be the goats now. They're mm-hmm. like, hey, you did this thing, but nobody really remembers it, and everybody forgot, and you didn't get paid, and you're not millionaires, and you just had to find work where you could and go. And that's why they sort of get their re heroes welcome there when it's like, oh crap, ghosts are real now. The Scolari brothers
1: mm-hmm. sentenced him for murder.
3: Gave him a chair. That <laughs> that judge is is great. Yeah, I that, that's he just, holds his own. It's a very very fun scene. Um, but uh, oh, I mean, geez, let's not forget like even the courtroom battle. But I mean, Rick Moranis as the lawyer and Mm -hmm. bill murray doing it's just just a one time it's just a one time incident and they were and and then they never meant to cause any harm objection leading the witness and it's like oh come on that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) and then do you have anything else mr tully do we no we've helped (laughs) them out quite enough already (laughs) it's just so funny and then when the female prosecutor is going at vegman and he's just like kitten There are things in this world, and he just has like no care or concern for the fact that he's on trial for this. And it just, but how about the court system in New York, right? Like, (laughs) this is literally the next day. (laughs) Like, there there was, (laughs) was... (laughs) there's, I mean, seriously, round of applause, New York City, man. You're
2: (laughs) the next day? Wait a minute, really? I don't know. It seems like it its is five years later.
3: No, when they are in the courtroom from knocking out all the power in New York city, when they were in the subway. Oh yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You're right.
4: right. I I love how angry that guy is. He is just Mm -hmm. for, for who knows what reason, just like he's got a a vendetta against them and he just like has it out for him. I love that.
3: Sometimes shit happens. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you going to (laughs) call? Yeah.
1: Peter Wingman, Raymond Stanz, Egon Spengler. Stand up! Get up! You too, Mr. Tully. Find
3: you guilty on all charges. Order you to pay fines in the amount of $25,000 each. You sent you to 18 months in the city correctional facility at Rikers Island. She's twitching. I'm not finished!
4: Um, One thing I feel like we... uh, I mentioned before about Ghostbusters 1 was like, hey, this movie's, like, not really scary or anything. Um, and, you know, maybe now as an adult, you know, 2 isn't really scary or anything. But to me, 2 is always, like, way scarier. Because, like, Vigo, mm-hmm. my God. Like, that dude freaks me out. And I think he still freaks me out. Like, even just just as a person, and his face, he's scary he scares the hell out of me. Um, and then when he turns into and morphs into whatever he is, and he's got that like Snapchat effect on his face for a little bit, like <laughs> it, it's pretty yeah. funny, but like I, I I'm terrified of Vigo. There's also that scene in the tunnels in the uh, subway where like, they're just like creeping around. And then they, they have all those heads on the pikes and it's like, that's, that's kind of terrifying. There's yeah. all these like, like just severed heads on <laughs> and there's, it's like gory looking like some of them. So Uh, yeah, I was watching that one with my son and I was like, oh, uh, should he watch? I don't know if he should watch this, but whatever it's on, I guess he's watching it. Um, (laughs) so it's, uh, it's, it's a very different movie, but, uh, I appreciate it. And I think it's, uh, I think it's funny. I think it's definitely funny and I think it's dark and and scary uh, a little bit Mm -hmm. more than the other one.
2: Yeah. It's It's got its moments that are definitely darker. The ending of this with Vigo coming out is is darker than the first movie. The yeah. first movie, oh. you know, Gozer on the rooftop with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Um, the whole line about if someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Like all of that is kind of fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this just seems so traumatic and dark.
4: I, I made a joke on on Twitter before. I was like, it's pretty hilarious that Vigo the Carpathian was like, I'm going to rule the world, bring me a baby to possess. <laughs> like, what? What's the plan here, Vigo? Yeah. Viggy, mm-hmm. Viggy, come on. I mean, you're going <laughs> to possess a baby and then just like chill for a lot of years and, you know, go to the bathroom in a diaper? Like I, I don't know or a shirt, a jet shirt? Um, like what's the deal? Well,
2: jet care. shirt deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right though it it is a bit of a flawed plan maybe you know to possess like a an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old I, well, I was prime i was ready he could have taken me in 1989
4: <laughs> he possesses ray no problem like he just stares in his eyes for like half a second mm-hmm. and it's all good yep but very, yeah very pl- flawed plan overall mm-hmm. Dig
2: it. Dig it. yep so um, one thing I, I also wanted to just bring up is the song. We talked about music before, but Spirit. Some people hear it. Some people fear it. Some people just won't yeah. go near it by Dougie Fresh. Um, that's a classic for me, too. I can't think about Ghostbusters 2 without thinking of that song. So I just want to make sure I make sure I threw that out there.
4: Yeah. That one comes in, in the credits. Is it in the movie itself? I, I don't think it's in the um, movie yeah that's a good one and this one has like so many good tracks in it too mm-hmm. and Only go Boingo so with
2: Danny better. Elfman back in the day he's in they have a song yeah oh, so good but any other thoughts about this
3: it's just got a ton of good lines and it, it it just suffers from being kind of an unplanned sequel mm-hmm. and uh, but overall somebody said it earlier the cast like gave it their all i don't feel like anybody You know, Murray, Aykroyd, Hudson, none of those guys were just cashing a check with this. Like, they gave it their all, 100%. And, you know, and then the supporting cast who came back, too. Rick Moranis came roaring back. Sigourney Weaver came back playing perfect Dana Barrett. So nobody looked at this as less than the original. And I'm sure they probably thought at the time, like, hey... I mean, jeez, we're so popular with all the cartoons and everything. It's going to be incredible. This will double the first one, yeah. um, but but whatever their motivations were, they uh, they they gave it a 100. percent So I, uh, I I give the movie credit for that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. They they just tried so hard. The one th- one thing that I don't. Like that, they wrote into it was um, was Lewis and uh, Janine getting together. After th- in the first movie, it seemed like Janine was going to be all into Egon. Um, I just didn't understand that pairing. Like, hey, they both have glasses, let's have them make out. I don't, I don't know.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, know. Uh, I don't mind it, but. It, it is. There's a lot of back and forth, right, between like the uh, cartoon the first movie. This and who knows what afterlife, you know, says about it. I
3: think it was just to give them both a little more screen time, both babysitting the baby yeah. instead yeah. of just, you know. And...
2: Maybe. That, I mean, that's probably why they wrote them into it, so they could be on screen. Um, because Janine's not really in it anywhere else, right? not yeah not of not any a, like large capacity so
3: right right
2: it, it makes sense to write the characters in I just I don't know that I liked their romance
3: well yeah but it doesn't go anywhere I mean I don't I know, don't even, I, know. I, I don't even think they see each other after the end of the movie I can't quite remember the credits I just remember everybody patting Lewis on the back because they think that he blasted the
2: mm-hmm. yep yep
3: the shield which
2: was pretty cool That Lewis had his proton pack and had his his moment.
4: The Um, the credits are interesting, you know, when they're showing their names and stuff uh, over the the video footage. It's like shots that were like from earlier in the film, but also stuff that's like taking place in like real time. I'm like, wait, what's happening here? But I I appreciate getting that second look at a lot of the characters and, and that like key ceremony, key to the city or whatever it is at the end. Right, Uh, right. At the Statue of Liberty at that moment, I'm like, "Yo, how did it take that first step?" You know? (laughs) Right, right. Oh,
2: that's good. I loved when they uh, they slimed uh, Janosch, and he just came up and he was loving everybody. It was so funny.
3: Why am I drippings with goo? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's good. I quote that movie way more than I even realize. Because anytime Mm -hmm. I have something slimy on my hand, why am I drippings with goo? And, and one of my favorite Bill Murray lines is when Dana cleaned up his apartment and she's like, yeah, I put all the dirty clothes in the hamper. I have a hamper?
1: It's
3: <laughs> perfect. Perfect Bill Murray. All right. So the,
2: the this movie didn't do that well. Therefore, nothing was made after it for a very long time. There were always rumblings that they wanted, that Columbia Pictures wanted to get a new one started up uh and they just they just couldn't muster it murray said he'd never come back he was done with ghostbusters and and i think after this time actually murray said he was done with sequels if i'm correct i may be wrong but um i think he he had stated sometime in the 90s he was never going to make a sequel again
4: um oh he uh, messed that up
2: yeah big time but he um but so the movie just couldn't get off the ground so with no real timeline to get anything done to make a Ghostbusters 3 we had in 2016 uh, Paul Feig came out with uh, a Ghostbusters movie that was then called Ghostbusters Answer the Call and that movie uh, basically rewrote the Ghostbusters history with four women as the Ghostbusters bustin' team and the movie wasn't really loved by both critics and fans alike but I, I will say I personally really enjoyed it I did have to get out of the frame of mind that like it's Ghostbusters how I know Ghostbusters and this is something completely different and when I could get out of that frame of mind and, and take it on its own I really enjoyed it and I think I actually enjoy it more than Ghostbusters 2 um, when, if I would have to put them up against each other I maybe I don't, maybe I like Ghostbusters 2 more but I think it's just there, there are certain parts of it that just really make me laugh. Um, and so I want to get everybody's thoughts on it, because I know it's not really talking about the initial Ghostbusters franchise, which is now, you know, out with the third movie with Afterlife, but, but I, don't, I, I wanted to make sure we at least gave it its due. So, Hunter, what are your feelings on Answer the Call?
0: i have owned answer the call since it came out mm-hmm. i have upgraded my copy of answer the call um which uh, you know it's been retroactively i think internationally it was always answer the call but it was just ghostbusters yeah, yeah. until afterlife rolled around and then they're like okay well no, no, we no, gotta no. we gotta subtitle this one it now.
2: was answer the call when it came out on digital and blu-ray okay they did add okay. the subtitle when it came out on blu-ray
0: which is the right call? Um, I have enjoyed this movie, and I continue to enjoy it. Um, it does not get as much play as, well, any of the <laughs> the other movies. But that is not a fault of the film itself. Um, you know, there's 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 been so much conversation about what this movie is versus the you know the the reaction and everything like that. I definitely don't want to get into that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I have just enjoyed the movie and have continued to enjoy it and i think it's a valued part of the franchise i think the idw comic books have done a really great job of kind of merging the two worlds together and if i do have like one big issue with this movie which i think a lot of people do that love ghostbusters it's just i think they completely forgive the expression i think they completely made the wrong call (laughs) doing this as a straight reboot Mm -hmm. instead of just like a continuation this movie is easily transformed i think into hey this is a franchise of the original ghostbusters
4: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and i think if you did that a lot of the people that had major issues with this movie would go away they'd still be there because it's you know it's the internet right but i think that sony preserving a little bit of that respect for the original franchise would have gone a long way Towards being a show of goodwill and people Would have been along for the ride more so Mm -hmm. That said We got what we got and it did eventually Lead to afterlife so there's the Trajectory there regardless of what you feel um, uh, About how Things went forward so Regardless valued part of The franchise and one that I Am grateful to revisit whenever the mood Strikes
2: yep yeah I Watched it gosh At least maybe two months Ago with my wife And we both really enjoyed it. I don't think she, she had never seen it all the way through. She had seen bits and pieces of it. So we actually sat down to watch it all the way through and she, she enjoyed herself too. And I will say the director's cut or the extended cut or whatever it's called is even better than the original. And it adds, I don't even know how many minutes it adds, but they're all worth it in my opinion. Yeah. My,
0: my, I guess my like only, like if there's from a filmmaking standpoint, I would say that the movie does feel very long. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it just does keep going and going and going. Um, And maybe that's it. It just does not have the pacing of any of the other Ghostbusters films. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, we're not here to break down the minutia of (laughs) of movies here.
3: (laughs) Ultimately, when I heard they were making this, I I didn't have any problem with that. It was going to be Kristen Wiig and uh, uh,
2: Melissa McCarthy,
3: Melissa McCarthy and Leslie blank. Jones and, and Kate, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. There it is. Yes. Thank you, Phil.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Where are my notes? Um, I didn't have any problem with that. Uh, I just on the surface was like, do we need to remake Ghostbusters at all? Because again, it was just sort of a lightning in the bottle. Great film. It's one of those that I just couldn't picture really anybody else doing. And that's probably where I had, and I didn't have like a big, I'm going on the internet to post about it problem. I just had a, uh, do we need this? I'll, I'll see it if I see it. And I saw probably half of it on a plane and was enjoying it. And then when I got back from that trip, I told my wife, I was like, Hey, that's not bad. I was actually like, I'm curious. I want to see how it ends. And so we sat down and, and we watched it again from the beginning. And, uh, yeah, I I I thought it was really funny cuz again, I I think Kristen Wiig is hysterical. I love Kate yeah. McKinnon. She she honestly he slays in that role. Can't do anything bad for me when it comes to the characters that she plays on SNL or in any movie I've seen her in. Um so I think in that respect, uh answer the call got what the first ghostbusters had, which was the personalities to play these characters like you've got to have that straight character, the crazy character, the somewhere in between, like, like we said earlier, all the personalities, Ghostbusters can be anybody and play off of one another and that sort of thing. And I I just thought that the whole thing was, was good as far as where I would rank it against the other Ghostbusters. I'd say probably one and two are, are a, a neck and neck for me uh depending on my mood. Um, but this is solid right behind them as far as entertainment. I still don't know why it was necessary, but I think it was uh it was it was good. It was fun. And Chris Hemsworth, my gosh. <laughs> I cry at his stuff. When he takes off the glasses and puts his finger <laughs> through it, yeah. friggin' hysterical. It was so, good. so so good uh
2: jillian holtzman radio times uh what have you been doing with your whole life great question
3: oh well um lots of different (laughs) jobs um i did the um did the actor thing uh work just just real quick
2: um can i ask why no no glass
3: oh uh yeah they just kept getting dirty so i took them out don't have to clean them anymore oh
1: boy I gotta, I gotta yeah. try to keep that in mind.
3: Would it be okay if I bring my cat to work sometimes? Uh, he has major anxiety problems.
1: You know
2: what? I, I, would love to let your cat live here with you, but I have a pretty severe cat allergy.
3: Oh, I don't have a cat. He's a dog. His name's Mike Hat.
2: Your, your dog's name is Mike Hat.
3: And Mike Hat.
2: Your dog's name is Mike. Last name Hat.
3: Well, his full name is Michael Hat.
2: I can't say that I'm allergic to
4: dogs. So.
3: Yeah, that's all right. He lives with my mum.
4: Well, then we have that figured
2: out. When I think about this movie, I do think about that scene almost always first of him taking off the glasses, putting his finger through, or just scratching his eye, or holding his eyes when something's loud through the glasses, like it's just and
1: funny.
3: that whole that whole dynamic of Kristen Wiig sort of pining after him and yep. Melissa McCarthy reining her back in, and it's mm-hmm. like you know yeah, th- that that whole dynamic with all of them was was so good. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, agreed. Brad,
4: yeah. Um, I I really love this movie too. Um, I was apprehensive at first, not in the way that many people were before it came out, but I I had I think my wife and I had gone to see Bridesmaids, Uh and you know the hype around that movie was like insane, right? Everybody loved it, and I remember being in the theater with her, and we were both like the only two not laughing and we just couldn't get into that movie. So knowing a lot of the team, you know, was coming over to this. I was like, Oh, I didn't really like that one. So I hope, I hope I like this one. Um, but I love everything that they've done on SNL. So I'm like, all right, fingers crossed. Here we go. And I, I loved it. I, I thought it was so much fun. Um, and visually they do some amazing like things in here. And this movie oh, yeah. looks so good. So mm. good, um, and I think in like four K, know, it is in, awesome. Oh my god, yeah, it's you know we talked about how iconic you know the first movie is, and then a lot of imagery even from the second movie. I, I think the imagery in this movie, like, just it, 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 it like kind of like blows some of the stuff out of the water, and and it, well, of course graphics and stuff, sure, but like I'm like, man, there are some really amazing images in this movie, and some of my favorite parts, I think, when Holtzman like whips out those like pistols or whatever. And that is like, I think one of the best ghostbuster moments in any of the movies. Oh, the proton pistol lick. So good. Yeah. It's so good. (laughs) It is so good. Her just whipping the things around. And of course, like the tactics are different, like as far as what they're, how they're using them Mm and in the different movies, but like, it's still like, I love that moment so much. And uh, all the different ghosts that are in that, that, you know, that, uh, final battle sequence and the comedy of this movie is so good you guys mentioned most of the stuff already um the original team showing up and and the tributes you know the tribute to uh harold ramus his yeah. little little statue bust there right um yeah. but i thought i thought it was great i thought the the original cast was fun it was a different dynamic and I, you know of course i i it was kind of in line with with you guys, where I was like, "Oh man, couldn't they have just set this like in world?" And Hunter, mm-hmm. I know you mentioned something about IDW. I didn't, I didn't uh, read the, any comics or anything, so I don't know if I, I think there there was something there about tying them together. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like at the end of the movie, when they do those post credits, and and the, you know, you hear uh, Zool – There, I think mm-hmm. that's what they said, right at the end. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I'm like thinking, oh my god, there is ways. And I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking about the multiverse back in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you can do this. This is possible. I'm like, I want this movie to succeed so that there is a way that you could have a multiverse where the original Ghostbusters messed something up and, you know, they they wanted people to forget about them and they, you know, the whole thing. Um, but uh I think it's a great movie on its own, even though it's not necessarily tied in and i think uh it's a lot of fun that dance sequence is something else um oh and mm-hmm. and the uh i love the like the logo and the fact that they took that logo and made it like the villain of this movie the movie is, yeah. is is amazing
3: yeah well like, here's you... here's where i gotta throw a couple flags though i didn't think Problem. that i didn't think that the original cast did well at all ernie hudson his cameo at the end wasn't too bad but Bill Murray, that was probably one of the most unfunny things I've ever seen him do. Um, Acroids, I can't even remember. That was was so yeah, yeah. it was just so forgettable. And uh, Sigourney Weaver popping up post credits, that was fine. That wasn't much to that. That actually kind of worked, but Mm -hmm. but otherwise.
4: She i i wasn't second, yeah yeah why she's
0: a, she's a she's a queen of post-credit sequences <laughs> yeah. I, eric i'm just gonna pop in and say i actually agree with you as well i think the biggest misstep is doing anything with the original cast um out of like anything that i have a problem with i i think it's that because that's just a reminder that these are characters that did this movie that is not in this movie that are not being acknowledged Mm -hmm. and you just wish you were watching those characters instead which again I just think like them doing this as a hey you know the old team is retired but like the video game is set up we've established franchising opportunities across the United States or wherever Um, I just feel like that would have been the direction to go but you know even outside of that I still have a really good time with the comedy in this. And like you guys said, I think it is visually great. Even if I, I cannot stand the proton packs, I just, I think they're so ugly by comparison. Um, but yeah, everything else, like, honestly, I, I think this movie is a pretty great time.
3: I, the only other flag I'll throw is the end. I did like that. Yeah. That the logo was the enemy. I didn't like that. We had to have uh shoot it in the nuts joke it's like really because we're women we have to ha 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 come on that was about as low brow as you can get to I mean, a film that at that point yeah that i thought was like doing a pretty good job and it's like oh geez let's whatever but and What's then the I didn't.
0: Transformers line. He's like, I'm directly under its dick or something like that. Yeah, <laughs>
3: it's like, come on. Revenge of the
0: Fallen is what it's in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. But be- besides the original cast, that scene at the end, that and again, a small part of it. Overall, it, it was it was fine. I I don't. Uh, I didn't have any real real big. I d- I just kind of walked away, just going, huh. All right. Well, that was. Again, not yeah. necessary, but not terrible, yeah.
0: yeah, I am curious how this is going to stand the test of time as far as like the comedy because I do think like it is very set in its time period, mm-hmm. just like ghostbusters Ghostbusters is very eighties, but I think it's it's classic eighties where it's gonna stand up you know forever. I feel like Ghostbusters twenty sixteen or answer the call is very very set in the time period that it came out, and I just I'm wondering ultimately what its legacy is over time. I do think it's going to hold up more often than not, though. Um, It just is very, very uh, 2010s comedy. I think throughout. Yeah,
2: well, it's very Melissa McCarthy comedy. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really what I attributed it to. It's not even like Kristen Wiig and Kate McKinnon are. They they are very timeless in their type of comedy, but Melissa McCarthy. Her comedy is very much 2000, late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, and bit, you don't really see that. movies I'm right there with you. Yeah, you don't really see her playing characters like that anymore, because I think she recognized that it's it's not really what pe- what audiences want nowadays. And I don't know if comedies changed or evolved or if we've gone in you know a circle or whatever it might be, but I really don't like. A lot of the Melissa McCarthy movies that are out but I do love Bridesmaids from when that came out I felt like that was like the the start of it all for female led really good comedy and I feel like Ghostbusters in 2016 was like the end and this is the last movie I'm gonna like where she plays that type of character Mm. but I still I do like it I think you know everything that we've all said is valid And I just wish more people would have given it a shot because I think, you know, Hunter the big miss, like you said, not set it in universe and make it a branch of Ghostbusters Incorporated, was just they failed there. It should have been like we're not talking about the video game, but I think if I remember correctly, at the end of the video game, they're basically setting up Ghostbusters franchises around the country.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hit on that very briefly, but yeah, I just think that's that's like the big thing, and I Mm -hmm. feel like it almost feels like from reading just like Paul Feig's comments, like it was, it was almost like a, an act of defiance to Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, completely bypass the original and be like, we're going to take what worked, but like, we're going to do our own thing, which I do think works sometimes, but I just think with, maybe it's different because we know how things turned out and it's easier to talk about in retrospect, but I just think it would have gone a long way towards, establishing that kind of franchise legitimacy with the the quote-unquote uh man children or (laughs) whatever (laughs) you want to say here Mm -hmm. i just think you could have avoided a lot of problems if you would have did that instead instead of kind of putting your being like well we can do it but better and i think that's what the impression that a lot of people kind of got.
2: Yeah. They, they yeah, didn't get, and, the and get rid of the cameos. Sorry. Go ahead, Brad.
4: Oh, I was just going to say they didn't get the message from back then that like, you know, say star Wars is, you know, restarting everything and we're just going to connect it. Jurassic in that same year, did the same thing. They restarted it and connected everything. And then ghostbusters was like, nah, we're doing something <laughs> <Yes>. else.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and what
2: I... would have worked really well is if they, instead of having cameos from all the cast, you have just one of them as the mentor. And even kill them off in the beginning, like have them teaching, or or have these these women learning about it because they're haunted or something. Where Ray or Winston or somebody is there, and is is the first act kind of the guide.
4: I'd love to see yeah. one of them as a ghost, like even that, that would have been, been cool, cool too. <laughs> that that would have been great. Right?
2: Speaking of <laughs> yeah. one of them becoming a ghost. <laughs> I think this is a good, as good a time of any to transition to the newest film that has just come out this past year in 2021, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife.
3: There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. New York in the 80s, it's like The Walking Dead. Your dad never mentioned this to you?
1: It's just my mom. My grandfather died. My mom says we're just here to pick through the Rob of his life. Wait a minute.
3: Who are you?
2: a true continuation of, I want to say, only the first movie, question mark? Yes. And that's kind of a question I'm asking everybody. Um, um,
0: it's one of those things where they've left it. They, they haven't done anything that directly contradicts, mm-hmm. but they are very, very focused on, you know, adhere here that they're one moment in 1984. Doing, yes, they're basically doing a Force Awakens where they're like, the prequels happen. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the original trilogy. Um yeah that, that's basically yeah
4: what same, same thing jurassic world did where everybody in the fandom was concerned that they were forgetting the lost world in jurassic park 3 but that wasn't the case they just didn't talk yeah. about it you know
0: i well, i think with these movies like i do think it is oftentimes the right call to do that to be perfectly honest like don't do anything that contradicts the less popular sequels or anything like that but It is important to establish that through line to what people are familiar with and what they do enjoy. And if that's your mission, figure out what works from there and do it instead of trying to be completely beholden to what's come before in its entirety. Um, And I think that's something that Force Awakens did great. I think Jurassic World did great. And I think Afterlife does that very well as well.
2: Mm hmm. Um, I don't know if we should get it out of the way first and just then cut his, his microphone, but Eric, you you really didn't love this movie, and so normally in, in this section, we'll talk about the movie and we'll go kind of beats through the film, but we're already running so long. I don't necessarily want to do that in full, but I do want to touch on some of the main parts of the film. And I, I just kind of want to get your perspective as to how the film opened, because it is a Um, You know, it's a a stand in for Harold Ramis playing Egon running back to his or driving back to his farm to catch a ghost. And I I wonder how did that set the tone for you to get through the rest of this movie? Because I know you're very opinionated on on how you felt about it.
3: Oh, boy, there's so much to go into. So uh, that was fine. I was like, okay, I get it. You know, stand in whatever. That's fine. The the biggest problem I have is 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 timeline. More than even Harold Ramis's stand-in doing that whole bit, you know, making Egon come back. It's I, I thought this was a direct sequel to the first Ghostbusters, but I've seen articles that kind of go both ways. They say it's a sequel, direct sequel to '84. Some say it also includes '89. Um, in either case it seems very, very, very strange to me that whether you go from 84 or 89, so whatever that is, 30-ish years later, 35 or Mm -hmm. 17, 37 years later, um, that Egon did all this research, found out that, Gozer the Gozerian actually has a pit to hell in Oklahoma. And he told his Ghostbusters friends about it. And their reaction was, oh, Egon, you in this end of the world stuff. Oh, just go on. And the first time we see a real or rather original Ghostbuster uh, in Ray Stantz answering the phone in the bookstore, Egon can go to hell. Oh, he died. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Oh, yeah, he stole all our stuff and left, and we never heard from him again. so, Phil, can I ask you a question yeah are are you a are you a ghostbuster? Do no. you hunt ghosts for a living
2: uh not not currently no
3: all right, if you ever tell me with absolutely no experience with ghosts that you found a pit to hell in Oklahoma and you need my help, I guarantee you I will be there. All right? No questions asked. Yeah. Let alone, these were his Ghostbuster friends who fought a 50-story Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. They did all the stuff that they did in Ghostbusters 1. Whether Ghostbusters 2 happened or not, let's say it did. They walked the Statue of Liberty with slime And then somewhere after that, Egon got married, or not necessarily got married, but had a child, then left, was gone for 30 years, and everybody was mad at him because he stole the stuff and he went crazy about all this ghost stuff. That makes absolutely
2: no sense. So I am going to hop in and agree with you in part, because I will say the biggest issue that I had with this film was that whole sequence of Ray on the phone um, saying he can rot in hell was ridiculous. The reasoning he had for not listening to him was just silly. They are a group. They are a family of Ghostbusters. They've been together for who knows how many years because even Ray said, times were great. People loved us. We were busting ghosts. And then things got hard and Egon got crazier. But why don't you listen and trust him?
3: (laughs) Additionally, in the first Ghostbusters, Ernie and Ray are having a discussion where they literally say it's end of times. They quote the Bible, so these yeah. guys are on board. They thought the first Ghostbusters was end of times, yeah. and then they experience Ghostbusters two, and then somewhere along the line, they all decided, you know what? Yeah, there's no end of the world. It's not real. Screw you, Egon. You're crazy now. Yeah, and the they only just started that- him.
2: Well, the only thing I can think of is that they they thought he was getting a little too crazy. And so since they weren't listening to him, he stole everything and they, they didn't hear from him for 10 years. And well, he, ha- he does say he called me in 10 years later and he was in some podunk town in Oklahoma. So I think the the problem that Ray and the other guys would have had with him is isn't so much that he went crazy and they weren't listening to him. It's that he left. And left them high and dry, and was gone with no, with no inkling as to where he went for ten years. And I, I do get that, but I don't agree with them not trusting him and listening to him and trying to do research with him. Phil, if we, we never so i really like to. Yeah.
3: <laughs> if we never talk again after this podcast, and you call me up in ten years and tell me you found a pit to hell in Oklahoma, You're I there. promise you, this is on. A recording now. I will be there. You get one, Phil, and if I show up and there's no pit to hell, well, we're never going to talk again after that. But I will be there one time for you.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, I, I I'll accept that. It probably won't be Oklahoma, but I'll accept it. So <laughs> I want to take this moment then, since we jumped to that part, um, guys. Hunter, Brad, I, I'd love to hear what you both take from it because that is that is truly the one part of this film that I really really don't like and i know both of you liked it as much as i did in at least every other aspect so i just really would like to hear about how you feel about this part so hunter
0: i think that this movie spends a long time establishing the alienation that egon kind of goes through for the rest of his life like, yes it is like it's not the most heroic arc and like it's not um, one that we really see for that character, but I I think it does something where it makes us kind of challenge what we've seen from these characters previously, and it it was a decision that was distinctly made for the purposes of telling the story and making it Egon centric. Um, I, I I know that's maybe like a little bit of a cop out answer or whatever, but I just think like this is possibly the best route that they could have gone as far as figuring out some way for Egon to have shattered his relationship with all of the characters in this movie to eventually giving us that, that coming together. And I think like, it's when you look at the parallel of like, it's a beloved character, uh, a beloved actor that's passed. And then us getting that moment to come together to say goodbye with the end of it. I think like, yes, yes, you know, there's possibly other ways to go around it. I just think that it was a storytelling decision that they made, just because they figured that was the best route to ultimately get to the conclusion that they wanted to end up at.
2: Hmm. I, I just, I think there's a better way than the first. Uh, there's thing totally he a says better way. Is he can rot in hell? I just, I,
3: I, I, I actually, I won't have to go into all this. We we've got a long, long podcast already. I, I rewrote. Ghostbusters Afterlife real quick uh this week in in between breaks <laughs> but uh why couldn't Egon have just disappeared under mysterious circumstances and they were all sad cuz they never saw him again and then it's a mystery that slowly unfolds and you get to Oklahoma and I get they did it this way and then they have Egon apparently watching his daughter from afar. So he doesn't even contact his own family about stuff like this. Even his own family doesn't like register in his life enough except to, to take, you know, newspaper clippings. See, none of that rang true for me about who Egon was the same way. And, and, and you, said it Hunter, like we saw a different Egon, I don't like when these movies that are revisiting original properties are giving us all these things that happened to these characters in the 30 years we didn't see them, same way we see Grumpy Luke. You you could have written the next couple movies with the 30-year gap in mind, and let's see the heroes we remember, even if it's for a minute, and let's have them at the breaking point, right? Let's see a heroic Luke and Han, one last little cool mission where they're... coaching up the young guys and then, oh, now I'm mad at you, Han. I'm mad at you, Luke. Luke goes on his own and then dies off at the end and the other one dies. And then the young folks, you know, carry the torch. You you could have done something similar with this the same way, Phil, you were saying you could have had one of these Ghostbusters mentor uh, the Kristen Wig version. You could have done the same. You could have had Uncle Ray and you make the granddaughter 16 a little bit older And she has a relationship with Ray because they all miss Egon. And this is the only family she knows because he's been gone. And then Ray gives her a book. And then in this book, there's like some clue. And then she follows it somewhere. And then that somehow gets them to Oklahoma and have a real moment early in the film with, because I think one of the flattest scenes was the five to seven minute exposition over the phone where Dan Aykroyd isn't even in the room with Phoebe can't think of her last name Mm -hmm. that was so dull that was that was and the fact too that they wouldn't believe Egon had this pit to hell in Oklahoma but Ray still works at Ray's occult yeah Like he should have been on a beach then if ghosts didn't matter to him and his friends went crazy, he still has a bookstore devoted to the occult and he wouldn't go to Oklahoma to see a pit to hell.
2: Even just to see it, right?
3: Even just to see it.
2: So Brad, Brad, you haven't chimed in yet. So <laughs> yeah. what, are you, what are you thinking?
4: Uh, look, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the book of Egon to kind of go back and, you know, solve, <laughs> answer all those questions that we have Uh, it'll come whatever streaming service sony wants to do um but uh yeah i hear you it's hard it doesn't make a ton of sense but also ghostbusters 2 like i said before doesn't make a lick of sense um so i'm okay i'm letting things slide here and there because i i want to appreciate it and want to have so much fun with it and i think you know if you want to look into it a little bit hunter i feel like you summarized it pretty well um you're talking I don't know what the details are, the ins and outs. I didn't see the backstory play out the way that it actually happened. I heard a little summary, a quick summary from Ray. Um, but this this guy left his family. And like I could I could certainly hear Ray being like, that guy can rot in hell. Like he just he left everybody behind, and you know, we don't want anything to do with him. So that's enough for me to be like, okay, I like I can buy into it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a tough one, but uh it doesn't really affect me and my my watch through.
2: Yeah, I mean they're they're know, giving us was... this story and giving us if... this this um right from the beginning, Egon's a loner and then we go to meet his daughter and her family, and her daughter is alone or his daughter, I'm sorry, is alone because she left her abusive husband and the kids are both loners. Um, and it, so they're trying to make this parallel to Egon with the family, especially with Phoebe, who is just Egon as a, a 10-year-old girl or 12-year-old girl or whatever she is. And I, I get it, but there's just the big butt for me
3: about well, I think why they wouldn't just,
2: the guys trust him?
3: I, and think they, I think they just did that with the family, though. So there was a believable reason why they would move up and move from New York City to Oklahoma. Because otherwise, why would you, if your estranged father died and left you, you would one of you would go or you would have a realtor just say, Burn it down, sell it. I don't care what you do with it. He meant nothing to me. They wouldn't even leave New York City if they didn't have a reason. That was just and that was the biggest problem with this. Everything is a plot device just to generate a story. Rather than telling a good story, everything was an excuse to have a story, which to me is not a story. Because I didn't even have uh, Ray say he can rot in hell till the middle of the movie. And yeah. I, I didn't, my face did not change expression for the whole hour and whatever it is, 15 or 20 minutes. I stared like blankly and dumbfounded at what I was watching. And I finally grinned. And it was so telegraphed, of course, when the sheriff says, well, who are you going to call? And yeah. I went, huh? <laughs> they used that line. <laughs> and that was the only time my face moved for the entire film. And and then for the rest of the film, I didn't even, I didn't flinch.
2: Interesting. See, I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed them getting to the town. I, so this movie felt, and I know Hunter, I started talking over you before, so I'm going to let you go in just a second. But this film, it it just, it didn't feel like a Ghostbusters movie for the first hour. It felt more like a Spielberg style, like, 80s kids movie like I a, a, i don't know it just felt like very spielbergian if i can you coin that as a word um and i was along for that ride because it felt like an 80s movie but a different kind of 80s movie than ghostbusters was which i was okay with um yeah so, i
0: think it's very nostalgic and evocative of its era but in a mm-hmm. different way like yeah. i've seen some people say like well why didn't they just do the franchise thing go back to the franchise thing but with like Paul Rudd and Chris Pratt and who whoever else as like that team of Ghostbusters and I just feel like that would be even more derivative than you know people have have said Afterlife is very very focused on um you know, appeasing the fan base and, and getting back to basics and everything like that. But I do think it makes interesting storytelling decisions instead of just being a straight remake. I think it incorporates a lot of the elements that do work um, from Ghostbusters a la, you know, the Force Awakens or Jurassic World or whatever have you um, Creed uh, th- that mm. that's actually what this movie I think is most comparable to me uh, when I think about it Is probably Creed because I just think it it does the thing where it's like We are rebooting but we're also Carrying on the legacy and doing it In a different way But you're going to have a lot of fun Remembering what you love about that first one I, I, but I feel Creed, like Creed is, But Creed,
3: is Creed Was a rocky Film like you said It 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 really carried the rocky Spirit but in a little bit of a Different way what is the spirit of Ghostbusters? We already said it on this call. It's a comedy. It's fun. It's an ensemble cast. We basically watched a loner through this movie. Like Creed is, is at its heart, you know, a remake of Rocky, but just done through a different lens. This isn't anything we've seen of Ghostbusters. So it's, it doesn't, it it doesn't like Phil said it doesn't feel like a Ghostbusters. This is
0: I I totally I totally understand like if the the fun or the comedy doesn't work uh, uh, for for you personally because it's 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 very subjective right mm-hmm. like that's going to be something that is defined by taste and everything like that but I do think like that's kind of I think Ghostbusters Afterlife is just as much of a comedy as the yes it's like a different spin on it but i definitely would describe it as a comedy i think there's
3: what was through what line was funny, humor throughout it where was where was what was funny about i
0: mean it? when we first got to like the cujo bit i thought that was great um and then even beyond that i think a character like podcast in particular mm-hmm. podcast, podcast. could have been, been the biggest what what the what the hell moment in the entire movie, because it would have been very easy for that character to be, you know, just obnoxious and annoying. And you know what? Maybe some people feel that way, but I don't think he did. I think podcast is played beautifully um, Mm -hmm. and is a really fun character to be around. And he consistently, I mean, every time he's on screen, he's delivering some sort of gag. And that is giving me that comedic element that, I'm looking for in a Ghostbusters movie. Couple that with Paul Rudd. And then Phoebe has several different lines um, that are pretty amusing. I, I still think comedy does is a focal point of this movie.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I'm right there with Same. you, Hunter. I I did love this movie. I just didn't love that whole why are they estranged from Egon? I didn't believe it. But everything about uh, everything else about the film worked for me. I I did find heart in a lot of it. I did find comedy in a lot of it um, and podcast. You know, I just said he's, he's so funny and so good. And that, that kid is going to go far as long as he doesn't let, um you know, when fame ruin him, the
0: <laughs> scene where they get, pulled over in the ecto one right after the (laughs) muncher chase which the muncher chase is incredible i think it's one of the best scenes that the franchise has to offer um is is the first ghost bust Mm -hmm. um that happens in afterlife here but um where the cop car pulls him over and he's like i say we fight that is so freaking funny and it's Mm -hmm. like it's not even like the the best line in the world but the way that it's delivered and just knowing who podcast is by that point absolutely works for me it's it's really great the
3: the 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 muncher chase um why didn't they just stop ecto-1 the ghost was not pulling ecto-1 along Uh, once a ghost is i mean we've seen it in the other ghostbuster movies once a ghost is wrapped up a human being standing on the ground can hold it I don't know why they didn't just stop Ecto-1 and reel him in instead of <laughs> racing through the town. That was completely well, unnecessary. That whole sequence stop the car. The car would anchor the ghost. That would be it. Know.
4: it. It's a kid with no license. Yeah, they don't and know. Like, who cares? You know, he's he doesn't know. Oh,
2: but, but I think the, th- the thing about it, though, Eric, is that they don't know this yet. They didn't create this. They don't understand. They know they're chasing this ghost who's trying to get away from them. So they're driving fast after it and they're keeping it on a leash but and they don't realize they're keeping it on a leash. And that's one of the things I liked about that scene.
3: Oh, it's terrible. It's just fun. <laughs> just the yeah,
2: first
0: the first thing, thing I'm gonna moment tr- <laughs> to have the Echo One racing.
3: The first thing I'm gonna <laughs> try is stopping the car. Like let's just see.
2: Well, I mean, that's not the way a 15-year-old's thinking when he's driving a car without a license and there yeah. he's seeing something for the first time that he's never seen before, which is a ghost in front of him that his sister has wrapped up in this weird, proton I uh, I don't know, radioactive beam of light. I just, I, I believe it. I believe
4: it.
0: Totally. I love that scene where they're, Trying out the proton pack for the mm-hmm. first time and checking <laughs> out gone. the gear. It's gone.
4: It's completely. Did gone. I get it?
0: it's <laughs> gone. It. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. And then, like, I think I I just really love the interactions with all of the gear. Like when they're using the school bus engine to mm-hmm. open the ghost trap, and then unleashing um one of the one of the terror dog spirits. I I think that's great because it's like I'm an adult. I'm the one that's liable. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. But all the interactions with the gear, I think, is great. But yeah, I just think it's it is it's viewing the franchise through fresh eyes and basically giving the kids of today their, you know, introduction to Ghostbusters. Cause I do think, yes, this movie obviously is going to play best if you are familiar with the franchise, but I guarantee you, this is the movie that is going to get kids that have never seen Ghostbusters to go back and check out, Ghostbusters as a franchise particularly the the original film and yeah. I think that's that's awesome I think it's a, a great introduction for that
2: yeah I, I agree and I think you know one of the things that all films try to do today is have representation right and there's not a whole lot of representation in Ghostbusters in general there's Winston and then three white guys in this film you're putting kids up on a screen there's a nerdy kid that is an outcast and there are a lot of kids out there that feel like they're outcasts no matter what they look like or, or what color they are or anything like that. And then there's this techie Asian kid that just is like the this hilarious part of the film. And then there's this weird, like, gangly teenager that can't find his place but wants to be, like, alone and independent from his family but also wants to find himself with new friends. And then there's this this girl who is the sheriff's daughter who is like the only girl in town, it seems like, until Phoebe gets there. But they all can be seen as the eyes of someone watching the film, and I really like that. That somebody's going to look at the movie and say, that's that's me up there. Yeah. I,
0: I do think, like, you know, just, just since we're kind of talking about it, McKenna Grace is so good in here. Oh, so good. And then
1: she'll win an Oscar great. someday.
0: <laughs> oh, no, Totally. And then Logan Kim is so good as Podcast. However, Finn and forgive me, I I don't know the actress's name, but Trevor and Lucky are given like pretty much absolutely nothing to do in this movie. No, yeah, like they have little bits, but like they are completely overshadowed. I know they're not the focal point. It's more about Phoebe's relationship, and then Mm Podcast is along for the ride, being her best friend. But yeah, if I had like any sort of major nitpick, it's that there's not really a group of four here it's really just the group of two and and their sidekicks um, yeah. the other two are basically given nothing to do finn right is
4: here. finn is there just to get the stranger things audio uh, yeah. audio audience what am i saying uh yeah. just to get them yeah. in, in the doors <laughs>
1: yeah but, Agreed. Uh, but Agreed.
4: yeah you guys are right i was afraid about podcasts because i the first time i learned about podcast, i was walking through target and the uh plasma series or whatever i think that's what it was uh was up on the shelf and they had you know some of the new figures and i saw i I was flipping through and i'm like oh my god there was a character named podcast i was like did they <laughs> mess up this package or is this name <laughs> podcast and the connotation that comes with that being somebody that podcasts yes, all the time i was afraid i was very afraid that this is going to be like oh, uh, this is going to be cringy. I know yeah. what they're going to do. But man, he killed it. And he's so funny. I love I love him. And, um, his, you know, it just played off most, so well. You know? Yeah. His most
0: quote unquote cringy moment is where why are you called podcast? Well, it's because of my podcast. And you're like, ah, but I, then like, I, I love He laughed immediately at that, <laughs> moves into it.
1: No, yeah, see, it
2: I, I rolled my it eyes at that moment when he said for me, I was like, oh, God, no, no. no, this is going to go a really, really wrong way. But yeah, he redeemed himself me, immediately.
1: I
4: love that he's the one who calls himself podcast, and it's not anybody else. He has one I think listener. That's why it
1: works? and, yes.
4: and it, it it's just it's just thrown out there. They don't linger on it, and it's that's it. You know, it's just like a a out line right there. But um, but yeah, he's he's really funny, and Phoebe, I think, is hilarious in her like her you know in dry her way, yeah. comedy. You know, very much Egon kind of comedy. Like Egon's yeah. hilarious in Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and he doesn't do anything to be funny. He just is. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like she is as well. And, and her, her, her like one-off jokes or whatever those things were. Those like, those were the funniest things that <laughs> what's the one. Jokes. Yeah. They're dad her dad jokes. jokes. The one where, where the something walks into the bar and he's like, Oh my God, you named it Steve. And it's just the like, cricket. So, yes. the cricket. I'm like <laughs> dying laughing. like. <laughs> I feel like we have to
0: talk a little bit about all the stuff from 84 that shows up in this yeah, and how course. I think, yes, you know, like that's the obvious thing to do um, in a lot of cases, but this is one of the, like, I've seen a bit of criticism that I think I disagree with. Um, You know, I understand, but I disagree with, and that that is the current mindset and the, I guess kind of cynicism that comes with the, ha ha, you're not going to nostalgia bait me. Like I understand that you're just doing this to get an emotional reaction from me. I do think that's warranted sometimes, but I think Ghostbusters afterlife has such a good heart behind it. That does not feel cold and corporate, which makes that nostalgia work. And I think like it's important for a movie like this to be able to distinguish between those various forms of nostalgia. And I think ghostbusters afterlife, everything that it does pull out, it does. So for the right reasons, minus one or two, you know, minor exceptions, but the major stuff I actually think is done very tastefully. Um, and does give you that sentimental feeling. It's not just your member berries, you
3: know?
2: Yeah. Well, I I know Eric feels differently. So uh, Eric, I'd like to let you chime in here. Um,
3: I I personally didn't feel there was enough nostalgia to it. Like again, it didn't feel like a Ghostbusters movie. It wasn't very witty. It just I don't know. I I I guess somebody already said it humor's subjective, but I I couldn't really laugh at at any of it because it I was just again just dumbfounded. At at the fact that this was just not a Ghostbusters film. I, 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 and the, the just plot points too. I see, I, I just, Paul Rudd decides to open a ghost trap and then, oh, well, I got a date. See ya. And just like it never happened like that, that just bothered me so much that he just, Oh wow, a ghost trap. I've only heard of these things and and now I let out a, a demon, but I got a date. i I couldn't like he wouldn't have been more curious about that, like at home, like internet searching or just doing something. but instead it's like, ah, eh, whatever. And the the little whistle thing that didn't pay off at all in the film it was, all it did was attract the muncher's attention,
2: yeah, I do wonder if that is a deleted scene somewhere that it it they did make a point to call it out and so I and wonder the, if it's it did come back and they just cut it for time or or it didn't if, make sense
3: if we're examining gozer the gozarian again and everything that that goes into that um you've got the keymaster and the gatekeeper and it's those two demon dogs. Well, he had one demon dog in the trap as bait. That, to me, means that Gozer cannot fully actuate because if you need both demon dogs. So at the very least, Gozer can never fully come to power. And whether or not that affects the pit to hell or not, I don't know, because that thing had to have been open before Egon ever found it in 1980, whatever, or whenever he got there in the '90s. So to me, it didn't it, it used elements from the first Ghostbusters, but it didn't fully explore them. Once Gozer was fully operational, once she was alive, the first thing she did was tell the Ghostbusters, "Choose your destructor." Well, that didn't happen. She just sat on the throne and waited for for nothing. She was just sitting down in her pit. She didn't get the destructor out to take over the world. It it she just sat on a throne in the basement. Nobody found that odd that she didn't like, Hey, I have my world now. I'm fully actuated here. No? Well no, you
4: I know thought, what they, I thought they say. She was letting the ghosts like come out and just, you know. Let them do their thing.
3: Do their thing. Yeah.
4: Because
0: there is that moment where all the ghosts are unleashed in New York, but I understand that's Walter Peck who let them go before you know Gozer is is resurrected. Uh, but you know what they say? Ten thousand years will give you such a crick in the <laughs> crick neck. In neck. And uh in this case it was it was over forty, so you know, <laughs> a little bit of time there. I think I think what they went for here is that it is interesting because you've got um you, you've got a full scale replica of the Temple of Gozer, which I think is, you know, uh, the the Shandor replica. And then you also have that 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 was built on the top of the the New York building in the 84 movie. So I kind of wonder if Gozer's content just to chill out until interrupted. I wonder if, if they just want to do their thing.
3: I I don't know.
0: That could
2: be. That could be because they don't really do anything until they're like Gozer doesn't feel the need to leave until she's threatened. So maybe she was just like, I'm fully actuated and I've never my thought throne. Of it, honestly,
3: that's, a, well, here's that's my throne a, and I'm going to sit on it. That's a real boring, evil thing then. Like all that trouble. He wasted his whole life stopping a ghost that just wants to sit in the basement.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: I it was. That is not a life well spent. It's so like
0: Palpatine here, and Rise of Skywalker, just all right. hanging out.
2: Well, we're we, not talking about Rise of Skywalker until it's the last episode of this podcast.
3: We <laughs> we all right. We have to address the appearance of Murray, Aykroyd, and Hudson at the end. The way this was filmed, do we not all agree that Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson shot all their scenes by themselves on one day, and they only did like an hour with Aykroyd talking to podcast. Okay. I'm out of here. And Bill Murray talking to Phoebe and I'm out of here. That whole end sequence felt so CGI cobbled together. I never once believed that any of those actors were all in the same room at the same time.
0: Yeah. In this case, I think this is where, the real world came in more than anything. Unfortunately, I think that was more of a COVID decision than anything.
3: (sighs) Blaming COVID. I think that's the poor man's way out of this. uh... (laughs) You know, I don't, I
4: I don't necessarily agree. Like it, it could be that they're all in different places or whatever, filming separately, but like, it didn't feel that way to me. I feel like I'm I watch a scene and it looks like they're all there. Uh, there's there's a moment where there's like a a a, um, a shot that's like a little bit farther away where you do see like trevor and and lucky I think she's maybe she's there in the back or no podcast or somebody's back there so I feel like it it, it blends enough for me sure everybody's like in different directions I guess but like I, I don't it doesn't bother me in the least just
3: watching it i all I thought was okay Bill Murray doesn't want to be here he said I will give you guys three hours on a Tuesday, get all my <laughs> scenes done, and I'm gonna do it in a closet with Aykroyd. He's the only other person I want to talk to. I'll talk to a little girl if I have to. And and really the writers couldn't come up with a better line for Are You a God? Like the, that was like when you're talking about the nostalgia of the movie, I'm like, okay, here we go. And that was that was such a lackluster payoff. If, if you would have even had, you know, Dan Aykroyd say something like kind of stupid and then turn to Bill Murray and he just goes, 30 years to think about it. And that's what you came up with? Because that's what I thought was like, really? This was that was not good. You're, you're actually oh. using the original here. And and it just was so I... flat.
4: I love it. I love the second chance. And it's like, all right, come on, Ray. You know what to do this time. And it just, (laughs) I love that. It pays off 100% to me. The looks of the characters as they're like looking at Ray, like, come on, like do the right thing this time. It's so funny to me. I love it. Hey, flat top. Have you missed us? Those are
2: the Gosarian the name of the county of Somerville, state of Oklahoma, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, all the members of Ducks Unlimited, the Association for the Advancement of Retired Persons, I command you under the National Invasive Species Act to depart this world (laughs) immediately.
1: Bravo. (laughs) I think she remembers us. Are you a god?
3: Ray? Oh, come on, Ray. Yes. Yeah, we're all gods. Yeah, I mean, we're all pretty dang special down here. On a personal note, I thought that we had busted up for good. It wasn't working for me. My friends didn't think, so I know yours didn't. Okay,
1: playtime's over. Let's toast this muffin. Light him up. Man, I love that sound.
2: On the count of three, go on, two,
1: one. Yeah, nothing stings like a billion electron volts.
0: Brad, I do love when Stance walks out and he's got the line about the, the Wildlife Commission. He's, yeah. They're viewing Gozer as an invasive species.
4: Um, yeah. He does that's something great. similar in, in the first movie, but not not to the extent in this one yeah. that he does. But yeah. it's uh, it's a bit shorter, but he still does it, you know.
0: Yeah, the retooling here. I got to say I think Bill's interaction with uh which we didn't mention this but you know, it came out that that was Olivia Wilde yeah. underneath. You could tell Gozer. she looked
2: just like Olivia Wilde.
0: You looked at her and I was like, "Man, very familiar." And then it came out and it was like, "Ah, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. That's awesome." Um but yeah, the the interaction between Gozer and uh Venkman I think is really great stuff when he's going off about their two different personalities (laughs) and how you know she wouldn't give it up the whole destruction thing and everything like that (laughs) I think that's really great riffing and very very evocative of the 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 Pete that we had in the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 like yeah you know I feel like it would have been easy for Bill to phone it in and I just think like for what we could have expected, this is a better performance than we got in the video game. This is a better performance than I think happens in certain points of Ghostbusters 2. I think I think we got a really good representation of Inkman. I think we got to stop being so hard on Bill.
2: <laughs> I don't remember this job being so painful.
1: I do. You got a lot of nerve. <laughs> Coming back here, crawling back to me. We could have been the most spectacular power couple. You know, my sense of fun and your
3: personality. But no, you always had to vanquish, conquer, or always had
1: to maim somebody. And that's probably the number one reason
2: why... good try anyway. No, we're finished, babe. We're finished.
0: Yeah, I think he the did, dude's old and tired. He's got like, he's <laughs> going to keep cranking out movies till his fateful day comes. But yeah, he's well, you know,
3: <laughs> when a CGI Harold Ramis is emoting more than live actors, I think you got to start asking some questions here. I think you got to shoot it one more time and tell Bill to just go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh. It reminds me of when... <laughs> kevin james is talking about working with bruce willis (laughs) like that's what i'm reminded of but just real quick i mean i feel like you guys have more stuff to add about this but just the egon stuff in the finale could have gone horribly horribly wrong um i feel like that very easily could have been the biggest misstep outside of podcast because podcast is such a focal point throughout the movie but the fact that the Egon payoff works as well as it does, I think is very, very earned. I think the fact that Egon is a recurring presence throughout the film, it's not just this little appearance at the very, very end of the movie, but you get the, the pantomime and the interaction with Phoebe um, and the other characters in the farmhouse, eventually leading to that final revelation and then getting a really, really great recreation of Harold as older Egon I just think all those pieces come together really really well and they deserve a lot of kudos for pulling it off because it easily could have been super hokey Mm -hmm. here's where I can
3: say they did a good job with that I I genuinely mean it when I say Egon was the best actor out of everybody in that scene (laughs) because he looked good he gave better glances and looks and and Here's what I didn't like, though, and this is what I think the movie did wrong. I knew as soon as we saw stunt double Egon in the first two minutes of the movie, I was like, oh, we're going to get a CGI Harold Ramus at the end. And it was a total giveaway. I I think they did a disservice by doing it the way they did it at the beginning. How you would do that differently, I don't know exactly. I didn't rewrite that part of it. I rewrote it completely different without that beginning scene, but I just, as soon as I, as soon as he got out and I'm like, oh, well, that's how this movie ends. Did anybody else feel that way?
0: I get it. I just, I really think that introduction scene is so well done though, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't cut it for the world. Uh, That whole revelation with, with Egon, uh passing and then the pka meter activating and then i like that the the go into afterlife i was like oh man like we're, we're in some serious shit right now um but yeah i i get what you're saying for sure but i feel like maybe i was expecting it because it was just kind of floating around people like oh we're gonna get you know uh, the ramus estate is signed off for a recreation and it, i kind of figured we were going to get it i'm just really glad it came out as well as it did and the way that they did did you guys see the behind the scenes picture by the way apparently it was ivan reitman yeah in the scene that, that yeah that that they were hugging um mckenna was hugging and everything i i think so sweet but um yeah i just think you know we've come so far since you know, we've referenced Star Wars plenty of times. We've come so far since Tarkin, even. Um, and I think that just doing a little bit of that spectral imagery around him has really given us like our best recreation of a famous character. Mm-hmm. Yet. Yeah. And I just think that it's they were smart to do this because the characters are getting their moment to say goodbye. And then us by extension as Ghostbusters fans are getting our moment to say goodbye and transpose that onto the characters themselves. And I think like that is the emotional highlight for good reason. And I'm just, I'm glad that everybody agrees like they pulled it off because once again, it could have gone horribly wrong.
2: Yeah. I, if I were to amend one part of, uh, you know, I've already said the one part I hated, which was the Ray. Interaction, but I think Eric's rewrite could have worked really well in this intro scene, whereas it's a younger Egon. He's, you know, we, we, Eric said, what if he just disappeared? What if he was out searching for this thing and it was, you know, five years or 10 years later and he disappeared because it got him? And so now his spirit is just in this rundown house that nobody really knew was his until somebody comes across on records and it's like, all right, give this, find the next of kin. And Phil, then it's like 20, 30 years later that, that would have been
3: is hope. probably a little bit better. There is hope for you yet, my friend. That's exactly what I wrote. I didn't a, a little different, but ultimately that, that there's his spirit and then it kind of guides them and they don't know it's Egon until the end. And then it's like, Oh, it's been Egon doing this. And that, is the way you could have pulled that pulled that off a lot better? Uh, I real quick. Uh, does anybody know how tall uh, Phoebe is by any chance, roughly? Like the actual actress? The actual actress. I mean, what? I can look it she's up. She's got to right be handle? what, like five five four, maybe ballpark.
2: Um, I she's I don't know four feet eleven inches
3: four eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anybody know how tall Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and uh, Ernie Hudson are? Why? I'll save you some trouble. They're all over six feet tall. She puts on their Ghostbuster costume, and it fit. (laughs) So did Finn Wolfhard. Your disbelief. (laughs) So did everybody else, and it fit. These are six foot two, six foot three, six foot four men, and this child put on the... Why did they even put it on? Who puts on a mothball costume? Yes! Who puts on a mothball costume found in a a basement and decides that's a comfortable clothes, guys. Wear what you're wearing. You know, if it was good enough to leave the house in, (laughs) it's good enough to fight ghosts in, man. It fits you. It's it's appropriate. Don't put on some musty old giant (laughs) workman's coverall to go... (laughs) Be agile and, and fight the ghost of all ghosts.
4: You just, you just gotta tuck in your pants and then roll up your sleeves. It's
3: all good. Oh it's my good. gosh, that slayed me.
0: <laughs> I just wish, you know, you know, I wish that they were standing on each other's shoulders. That would have really put it together <laughs> like for A me. big
4: overcoat. <laughs> just,
0: yeah. Yes, Muppet Man. Um, you could have done that. Um, you know, I I think they actually probably padded it out a little bit with uh you know, dismembered pieces of Chevy chase Bill Murray finally <laughs> got his moment and you know, <laughs> you gotta, yeah. you gotta pack out this suit somehow.
2: I think it's like in Spider-Man, no way home. I think it is when, or, or no f- far from home, he puts on the new suit and touches the spider emblem and it sucks into his body shape. Oh, I think we just didn't see that. She just hit right. the ghostbusters emblem yeah. and it sucked to her body shape.
3: Oh, we have, Look, we have if we can add a Polaroid,
0: jacket. if we can add a Polaroid function, mm-hmm. To the goggles, and we can uh, we we can have a form-fitting suit.
3: Yes. Who said Marty McFly? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. That. Yes, that's exactly it. Your jacket is now dry. Yes. <laughs> oh, Additionally, sure. what was Egon doing with that proton pack that he got it all the way down to just needing two spark plugs and stopped? just so we could have a tender moment with his granddaughter 30 years later? Is, is, oh, is that why come we did on, that?
0: Eric. It's such a good scene, though. No, it how did wasn't. You build, how did you build a cyclotron so small and then he shines a light on his I six engineering degrees from MIT? <laughs> come on. That
4: was good. Let I the like kids it. have their fun. I can't, no. You know, my, my son's a critic now, I think, because he was, he was watching that sequence in that basement thing and they slide down the pole and he kept saying... But how do they get upstairs again? Yes! And I, was yeah. like, I, yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. There's probably a set of stairs around the corner. I don't know. <laughs> I I never expected this movie to be 100% all Egon all the time, which I, I was like, I just loved it. I loved that fact. Even though he was invisible, you know, most of the time, I, I, I loved it. I love that he was there the whole way. And uh, that that was really special. And you guys, I I, we kind of skipped past it a little bit, but I wasn't sure if they were going to go the full route of doing the CG Egon at the end. Mm -hmm. It's such a divisive, you know, tool right now that I just wasn't sure. And they did it, and I cried so hard, like literally, like, and I just kept going because like there there was all these little moments that like just kept hitting me throughout the rest of the movie, and I, man. I I
0: will then, say I think they made the right decision in not having him in a speaking role too. I agree. I was yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure how I felt about that after my first viewing. I was kind of like eh, but then twenty minutes after walking out, I was like no, they they did make the right call.
3: I I appreciate that they used him at the end, and and I didn't read everything like Hunter had read and saw the the disclosure and the signing off of everything. I didn't know anything about this film except what I saw in the trailers and like I said as soon like within the first minute as soon as I saw stunt double Egon I knew that's how they were going to end it and that's why again I got to fault it for just tipping its hat like right from the beginning showed me its cards right there
0: yeah that reveal is so good though when it it has that slow cut over to them both having hands mm-hmm. on the neutrona wand. Oh man. And I love and all the, the other Ghostbusters. Zoom.
4: They're all like looking yes. backwards, like, oh shit. Winston's like, face. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that moment where like they're kind of having their their conversation, like saying their goodbyes, and Winston's little I wish I would have called, like that, oh man, that was probably the mm-hmm. hardest moment for mm-hmm. me. It was like, oh, oh God. Um, Another really great little Winston Moment is when he goes over To the Ecto and he's like what did they do to you
3: (laughs) Again that ending Was lost on me because They turned their backs on the guy And they'd been through so Much real ghost stuff together It made no sense to me that Now you're going to be sad like Oh I should have called you Well you should have listened When he said I'm going to Oklahoma to find A pit to hell Um, and stop He didn't tell
2: them he was going to Oklahoma
3: we don't we don't he just know disappeared.
2: That. No, Ray said he just disappeared and took everything.
4: Well, maybe the setups in Ghostbusters 2 uh, where, you know, uh, uh, Venkman doesn't believe that. Who, who's the person in the in the beginning of that movie in the uh, TV show? Right. Who, doesn't he say like Valentine's Day? Bummer. Like, that yeah, part, isn't mm-hmm. that supposed to be the end of the world or something?
3: Well, yeah. and then the uh, other yeah. one, the other guest disagrees <laughs> with them and says it's going to be. Uh, yeah. New Year's so Eve. So there's the
4: proof. They, they don't believe that the end of the world is going to come.
3: <laughs> no, he doesn't believe the charlatans on his show. <laughs> I know, yeah.
1: I know. Like, do I you think... watch,
3: do you watch Bassmasters? Yeah, I know Bassmasters. Sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, we got to take everything with a grain of salt in these movies, obviously. And we're all going to have our own opinions. And for me, it did well. I think it, it, Scratched an itch that I didn't necessarily know I had and made me want more. The other thing that, so I, I know we kind of, Hunter kind of mentioned the little marshmallows. I hated that scene too because there's no reason to have stay puffs Agreed. anywhere other than to make people go, oh, I know that from the first movie. It was ridiculous. But the other thing that just was kind of weird to me is at the end we get a post credit scene, right? Winston's driving the Ecto 1 back to New York and he goes and he purchases the firehouse. But didn't Ray just say the firehouse was a Starbucks?
4: Yeah. <laughs> so Maybe what happened? Starbucks? I just took Starbucks. I just took that. Quick.
0: I just took that as Ray embellishing, to be okay. perfectly honest. Like right. when He's going off about the Reagan years and everything <laughs> like that. That just seemed very Ray, you know, doing his salesman bit. Got as it. far as like the stay puffed, I get it. I will say, I think that scene works as far as just being like a fun little moment though. And the mini stay puffs make sense for the character of Gary, because he is an active believer in the New York incident. And he would know all about Stay Puft. So they're appearing to him yeah. in that form.
4: I feel like it's like a bit uh, of like um, the the the, uh, the terror dog, like Vince is out there. Vince Clortho, isn't that the one that, that he was him? Yeah. Uh, so like it's yeah. like rubbing off. He's like there's just like a little bit rubbing off a magic in the air. And it's just like, mm-hmm. what's the closest thing? Some marshmallows. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I do love the blatant product placement throughout that scene. It's like, here's a prominent shot of Walmart. Here's a whole look at the entire Baskin Robbins menu for like 30 goddamn (laughs) seconds. I hope you love Baskin Robbins. I
4: Um, I love he chucked it at the terror dog's head, though. That was
0: pretty I think they're very, very smart with the mini puffs, though. I was so worried like it was going to be like a reoccurring thing. Um, And like minus the little moment where they show up to wreck havoc in the finale and give podcasts something to do with the (laughs) with the PKA meter Mm -hmm. taser. I think keeping it pretty confined is great. However, it's completely overshadowed with Gary sliding through his front windshield and then the terror dog popping his tires. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, before I forget, um, I would have picked Orlando. Just incredible line. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I was lucky enough to see Afterlife three times um, theatrically. And just that line, obviously living here in Orlando, popped off and was one of the hardest laughs Mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, And it was so good. I
3: just want
4: Orlando to do its thing now, you know? Come on. Give us what we (laughs) want.
3: Hey, that's a good Um, question, actually. Did you guys all see the movie in uh, at least... Somewhat full theaters,
2: yeah. Um, yeah. I did. I saw it in IMAX in Indiana. It. Actually, I was in Indiana, and then approximately it. how
3: full was your theater? It was probably 75, 70%. 70, yeah. 75. What about yeah. you, Brad?
4: Um i don't know it's like 50 percent, maybe i purposefully chose like a uh, a certain time so i could bring my son and we could stay away as much as we could um but yeah it was what did
3: you what did you have hunter um well i went the
0: night before preview preview or whatever so that was like packed out because that was like all the diehards and then i went opening night um and that was because it was opening night for everybody else. That was packed out. And then I saw it a Drive-In for the third
3: time. There were maybe 40 to 60 people in my theater that held easily 200. So maybe around a quarter full. I just wonder if the effect of... And nobody laughed in my theater. I I didn't hear a peep out of anybody. There were a couple of little chuckles once in a while um I think the loudest noise my theater made was again at the who you gonna call line and and that wasn't even that loud um I just wonder if the you know what I'm talking about that the kind of group feel experience where oh, I wouldn't say it ruined it <laughs> I think I would have had a, about the same, but I might have been a little more uh, inclined to at least smile or feel like, okay, that wasn't too bad. um, Because, like I said, it was – my theater it was – they were perfect moviegoers, though. I tell you what. It's the kind of crowd you want to watch a movie with. But when there are jokes, it's still – they got – it got nothing, nothing with with the crowd that I watched it with. So, Interesting. I will say there was one funny part, and and I I thought Phoebe as an actress was great. She she really did a good job. That that I can at least say was a good thing about this film. She was very 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 good at what they wanted her to do, and I thought it was funny when uh Finn Wolfhard pulls up in an Ecto 1 and he looks at her and looks at podcast and she just goes, this, this is my friend. I have a friend now. Or however she said it, I was like, oh that's cute. But and and I'd say Paul Rudd, I like Paul. I think he tried. I think he's the only one who like really tried to bring that old spirit of the Ghostbusters with sort of being wacky and and trying to be expressive and, and energetic. Mm Um, uh, Finn was, you know, he, he wolfed hard, but I don't know if he wolfed hard (laughs) enough. Uh, he was okay. He was just kind of flat and the mom was kind of flat and everybody else, like the girlfriend just sort of sat there too. They're, they're just sort of bland. The only ones who really gave any sort of pop, I thought were Paul and, uh, and the girl podcast was, was, was all right. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I don't know if my experience was skewed by 40 to 60 other people who were thinking the same thing I was. Yeah.
2: Maybe <laughs> it very well could have been, I, I definitely say you have access to my voodoo account. What? Give it another watch. Just well, another watch and see how you feel
3: after this podcast. If Liz wants to watch it, uh, I'll I'll watch it with her so she can see what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But
0: I'll send you a laugh track if you want. Like <laughs> I could just I do that for you, Eric. Nice. <laughs> We've been on here for three hours. Yeah, I, you know, I'm yeah. I'm ready to dedicate myself to the cause.
2: Um wanna give a little shout out to our Ivo Shankin or whatever his name was, which was a great <laughs> little cameo by JK Simmons, yeah. That was pretty funny. Is there anything else we should mention about this movie, about Afterlife?
4: I loved it. That's it.
2: All right. Well, then, I guess I'll just ask you first, Brad, then. Did Ghostbusters Afterlife ruin your childhood?
4: No, not at all. I love it so much. (laughs) I cried. It was one of my favorite things of this entire past year. It was so good. Come on. I loved every moment (laughs) of it.
2: Great. Hunter, how about you?
4: No, it did not. Um
0: Nope, had a great time. I just wish we had a reference to the blonde years that Egon had. <laughs> that's that's the only thing missing.
2: Nice. Eric, did this ruin your childhood?
3: No, I mean,
2: seems like it, but
3: We we well no, cuz cuz you and I've talked about this. You know, I refuse to let any single movie ruin my childhood. And and as far as my childhood's concerned, I was 13 when I saw Ghostbusters 2 and I loved it and and then I retroactively watched Ghostbusters one. Um, this movie just felt so far removed from what the original two were. I can't even connect them, except for the mm-hmm. fact that at the very end, the ghost of Bill Murray. I'm not. No, he wasn't a ghost, or was he? Well, Hard to tell. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, it it didn't ruin it. It just. I don't think it did. I don't think it did enough. Because I think even as an introduction for younger people into the Ghostbusters world, they'd watch the first two and be like, oh, they have jokes. So I don't know how to deal with that. I get it. And
2: so for me, it definitely didn't ruin my childhood. I really liked the movie. Um, I'd go on to say that I almost loved it. And with more viewings, I probably will come around to loving it. Uh, I, I loved the end. And there are just a couple of those things, like we talked about, that just bring it down a notch for me. I mean, if I had to grade it, I'd probably say a B plus right now. But I think with more viewings, it might move up if I can get over the whole Ray thing and be more okay with the stupid Stay Puffs roasting themselves for some reason and blending themselves for some reason. I thought it was funny, too, to have Cujo and then Chucky because Killer Dogs and then Possession. Pretty good. Uh, pretty good jokes there, too. So I, I liked what they tried to do, and I really liked what happened with the film we got and hope we get more maybe, but I I kind of also want us to not get any more, I don't know, kind of torn there.
4: Give Winston the spotlight. Yeah,
2: give Winston the spotlight but bring the kids back, like McKenna Grace and Podcast can be a little bit older. Sure, sure. Let's wait three or four years and they can go start busting ghosts for Winston. And you know, McKenna Grace did share with us in her song after, over the end credits of Ghostbusters Afterlife, that a ghost never leaves a haunted house, so they'll be back.
1: Because a ghost never leaves a haunted house.
2: Um, so Brad, where can people find you?
4: Uh, well, I am uh, at Brad Jost on Twitter, and uh, you can also um, uh, find my podcast at Jurassic Park Pod on Twitter or JurassicParkPodcast.com. Nice.
2: Uh, Hunter.
4: Hey, hey, hey. Well, if
0: you enjoyed listening to me, first off, what the hell's wrong with you? But you can also listen to me uh, talk with Brad over on the Grim Grinning Host podcast. We've taken a bit of a holiday break, but we're about to come back swinging. We've got a pretty great year uh, lineup planned for you all. um, And we cannot wait to share more details about that. And what I mean by that is we have maybe like two episodes planned. And I was going to say, I hear can't those, wait to
4: find out what they are. Like, I'm very if you excited. hear
0: those, you're lucky to get those, to be honest. Uh, GGH, the most DIY podcast in the theme park, pop culture. Um, and then, of course, also on Disorder, every Disney film. You can listen to us there um, where we've looked at each Disney theatrical film in order. And uh, we just covered um what did we cover last the Muppets Christmas Carol but by the time this comes up we are covering one of the Disney direct-to-video sequels right now it's looking like it's either going to be Return of Jafar or Simba's Pride. so stay tuned but thank you all so much um Phil Eric thank you guys for having me
3: yeah
2: for sure Eric where can people find you
3: uh people can find me in oklahoma i found a pit to hell and i need help stopping the demons inside it but my friends don't believe me so come on out give me a hand um you can find me uh eric Wilinski, on facebook and uh hit me in my dms and uh you know we'll go bust some ghosts
2: nice and I am at Demo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also follow the podcast at Podcast Ruined on Twitter and Instagram. We've had a quite the long look back at the Ghostbusters franchise, and we hope that this podcast didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be
1: I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. We came, we
3: saw, we kicked its ass. Yes! i thought the exact same thing how did they get out of there now because they all went down there <laughs> but then don't did... they
2: show the mom come downstairs yes already? i yeah, yeah, so there you yeah, go yeah. there's stairs
3: did she come <laughs> but, down um, no i thought she went down the pole too i'm did positive she, oh, I she, went down she the did pole too. yeah all right yeah but, there um, were no down stairs shown. there's also stairs
1: i, I
2: You just gotta climb is... up
4: the pole uh, yeah yeah that's it You gotta try this pole.
1: What a marathon.